Hey guys, my name is Tommy Oliver. I'm an analyst on YouTube, and you're listening to the MBS Show. Hello and welcome to the MBS Show, episode 88. I am your host, Norman Sanzo. Joining me today is Charlie. Hello, Norman. Hey, Charlie. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Not bad, not bad. I could be better, but I'm not bad. So, how was your day? My day was good. I enjoyed um, pretty much... My day was relaxing, uh, work was normal, and nothing untoward happened. So, here I am. Okay, that's awesome, that's awesome. And also joining us today is friend of the show, Kitsune Risu. Yo. You seem depressed. What happened? I'm I'm actually just kind of tired, man. Oh. Does it involve 25 hours of gaming? (laughs) Yeah, that that kind of had to do with it a little bit. And that was... um, that was actually a week ago, so yeah, I think I've recovered from that by now. So this is something different then? Yeah, it's just regular attack from leading an incredibly listless life, you know, of, of sitting around and eating donuts all day, really, but, you know. <clears throat> hey, donuts are awesome. They are. So anyway, our guest for this week is Tommy Oliver, or better known as Brony Curious. Hello. How are you doing, man? Not too bad. So, um... By the time of this recording previously, it was your birthday? It was, yes. So how was it, it was, man? How was it? Uh, it was it was pretty low-key, which is uh, low-key because I went to the store. <laughs> yeah, it's a joke. <laughs> ha! No, um, oh. I just kind of just hung around, didn't do much. Um, got like 200 messages all over the internet saying, Happy birthday! It's like, there's no way I can respond to all these. Oh, my God. You know, the easy way to respond to that is just do a video. Right. Yeah. Should have done that. That would have been easy, but I didn't do that because I wasn't thinking. So I was dumb. But that's okay. Um, yeah, it was just it was just kind of just played it pretty close to chest. Didn't do too much. Went out and saw a film with my dad, which was cool. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was enjoyable. I'm getting old, so can't go out and do all those crazy things you kids do these days, you know? Yeah, like the playing of the Pokemon and the watching of the ponies. <laughs> mm. Oh wait. I still do that. <laughs> so we're not that old. <laughs> yeah, we all have our own quote. So how do you want us to address you? Tommy or Brony Curious? Um, just call me Tommy. It's easier, I guess, right? Because right, yeah. the whole thing is that Brony Curious was never supposed to be my name. It was supposed to be, like, my channel name. Ah. But then people started calling me that. Like, the first time someone called me that was when I went to BronyCon in 2012. And <laughs> Spark was like, hey, Brony Curious. I'm like, why are you calling me my channel name? <laughs> But I didn't actually say that because, like, no one knew who I was back then. So I'm like, I'm not going to tell Saberspark not to call me that. So, okay. <laughs> and then it just kept happening. It's like, I guess it's my name now. But it's not. It's like a weird name. But, I don't know. It just, it just happens, though. But the, the funny thing about your channel, because I know the avatar is Brony Curious. But when we go to the channel, I see Tommy underscore Oliver. So it's like, what do I say or how do I respond to this? Yeah, because, like, the channel name is still Burning Curious, because, again, that was what I wanted to call the channel, and you set it up. And I wanted my name to be Tommy Oliver, because that's the name that I've used online forever. And um, the problem is I changed the display name to Tommy Oliver eventually, because I want to start talking about more stuff than just ponies now. Mm. But you can't change your actual YouTube URL, so it's going to stay that forever uh, until yeah. Google wises up. Unless you pay YouTube a lot of cash. Yeah, unless you're like one of the super partner channels and stuff. And then, but I don't know. I can't change it. So 
unless they finally wise enough to let you change that feature, or they finally like merge everything with Google Plus and like the Uber <laughs> end of the world destroying thing. Oh, I, I think we'll save that one for the interview section because <laughs> that is chaotic. Yeah, that's. But anyway, before we start the whole show, we need to ask you the four important questions. And question number one is, who's your favorite character? My favorite character in My Little Pony is far and away Rarity. Ooh, Rarity, that's Ooh, a good one. Not a Rarity fan. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Kisu, you don't insult our guests. You can only insult James Cork. <laughs> I will defend Rarity vehemently. I don't, I don't insult guests. I just insult prejudice, Rarity, right? so. <laughs> No, Rarity is a good one. Rarity is a good one. Yeah. Erdy is the best one. They're, they're mm. all good. Objectively the best. What? Throwing no, down got, the gauntlet. Been here for ten you gotta, minutes. You gotta defend start. yourself. You gotta defend yourself, Tommy. Okay. You gotta. You, you can't okay. just. You can't just come in here and just you know declare like oh, Rarity is the best without you know actually having to back up what you say. All right. Them's fighting words. All right. All right. So first of all, first of I all, anybody who hasn't watched it can go watch my video on Suited for Success because I go in great detail. Yeah, that's right. I remember. Like a lot, but Rarity just has the most in-depth characters. She has the best progression. Her her conflicts are always really interesting, and she has the most flaws. And I find that to be very fascinating because all of her episodes are really interesting. Kind of conflict between her desires. And her like altruism because she's generosity and she wants to be nice to all of her friends, but at the same time, because of her her uh, passion as an artist and the fact that she all this work she's proud of and wants it to be recognized, she's also very selfish at the same time. Mm. So these two, she's constantly in conflict. This desire to be appreciated for her artwork and her passion is conflicting with her generous nature, and so. She really shouldn't be living in Ponyville. She should be going to Canterlot saying, screw you guys, I'm going to go like live the good life, because she it's well within her abilities. But her generosity limits her from doing that, and she stays in Ponyville against what would be actually better for her career. And we see this happening all the time. You know, like She's willing to throw away like her one good connection um, in Suited for Success with uh, Hoity-Toity to make sure she doesn't insult her friends and makes those bad dresses. Because Spike comes in and she's like, yo, Hoity-Toity, like, this dude that like totally can like hook you up. He's got connections. He's going to come here and see your work. And she's like, all right, these dresses suck. But I like my friends too much to tell them that they suck. So I'm just going to throw my career down the drain so I don't insult them. you know. And then later, in uh, Sweet and Elite, she does it all over again because... She, she goes to Canterlot, she infiltrates the Canterlot elite in a single day, she, like, becomes, like, the person to know in that city, and then when her friends show up, and, like, she has to make a choice, it's like, do you either, like, disown these people, because they're, like, embarrassing you in this social setting, or do you, like, you know, man up and say, like, yeah, these are my friends, and she chooses her friends again and again, if it wasn't for Fancy Pants being a chill dude, shoot him again screwed herself over so mm. it's these conflicts that make her really interesting and even in sonic rainboom you get to see this this interesting side of her when she's all about this like perception that her body is a canvas for her artwork and she's trying she's like being appreciated by all the people in cloudsdale but at the same time it was her idea to go to cloudsdale in the first place to help rainbow dash you can see how these two sides of her are always in conflict and it's just really interesting that is something interesting i need to check out because now that you mention it, I kind of notice it because uh, the Sonic Rainbow episode, Rarity says, let's go help Rainbow Dash. And she is the first one to sabotage the help. <laughs> yeah, I think so that's a whole it just video, shows right? both sides of her. Yeah, so if you watch, I have a video on, on Sonic Rainbow as well, and I talk about that. So, 
Yeah. I'm a little bit rehearsed in this response at this point. That's not a word. All the time. And I got to throw down because I'm just like, you don't understand what you're talking about. Okay? <laughs> just take it to school for a second. So it's so. it's basically a dichotomy of character, right? That yeah, is encapsulated within the uh, the one uh, character, rather than you know the the other five usually need someone to bounce off, you know, in order to have uh, the conflict. But yeah, Rarity is, yeah. is 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 a is a very enclosed character in that she provides her own. Yeah, all, yeah. all person versus self because even even with um a sister who's social that's a person mm-hmm. versus self as well it's her hurts her work mentality versus trying to be a good sister you know and applejack and the apple boom were there to be an example of what she would like to be idealistically but again she's hesitant to leave her comfort zone she wants to stay in her boutique and like just mm-hmm. focus on her work and sweetie bell she loves sweetie bell she does but she, she the problem is to to really give Sweetie Belle that space and that, that attention that she deserves would be pulling her away from her passion, and that's something that's really strong for her. So she has this artistic inclination that's basically in conflict with all of her social interactions as a whole. And and as someone who's artistically inclined myself and very antisocial by nature, it's something I can really relate with and understand. So when people see a... That's not a word! Jesse, no, I see an artist struggling. It's, it, it's, it's something I can identify with. So... I don't know. Everything about Rarity, I just resonate with very strongly. I can understand her character, and I find her to be very, very complex, and she has lots of potential for great storytelling. That's true, that's true. And talking about stories, um, what's your favorite episode? Suited for Success. Uh, that, was, that was the episode that, like, <laughs> showed me how great Rarity was. Because before Suited for Success, Rarity was just perceived as, like, this prissy character. Because before then, you didn't you knew she liked fashion, but you didn't know that she was an artist. Because even in the season opener, when she puts uh, Twilight in all those different dresses and is, like, trying to get her all pretty and stuff when the, you first meet her. You don't know at that point that she made the dresses. You're just mm-hmm. like, oh, this is, like, the fashionista snob character. And, like, I was immediately turned off, too. I'll admit that. And for the first few episodes, I was just like, oh, this character is killing me, the little darling and all this crap. Like, I can't do it. But then you get suited for success, and you realize that, like, again, she's an artist, and, and, and dressmaking is the language of her soul, and that's the way she expresses herself, and she just completely blossoms in that episode and comes into her own, and the whole way that uh, each character in that episode was a representation of um, the archetypal bad clients that you deal with when you're doing freelance mm. artistic work just really spoke to me, because I've, I've done art freelance work before, and it can get really grating at times. So it's it was just a really, really great episode for anyone who who does creative work or does artwork or anything like that because it, it talks to you on multiple levels. So Wow, that, that is deep. That is deep. So I'd like to like, uh, bring back to your point on the episode where you said there's uh, archetypes of characters uh, against the artist. So that means that um, each of uh, Rarity's friends would have, uh, have an artistic um, like attitude towards her during that episode? Pinkie Pie wanted her dress to like pretty much exactly reflect her like she wanted to you know like streamers and balloons and things like that so so um pinkie pie is someone who has an idea of what they want uh but it insults like all senses of aesthetics because like putting balloons and streamers on a dress like that that just that no you don't do that but because the design that pinkie wanted is so close to a reflection of her as an artist if you say no this design doesn't work the client hears 
you insulting themselves because they're putting mm-hmm. so much of themselves into that design sense. True but that. it's someone who's who's trying to make decisions that don't reflect the sense of aesthetics because they're not trained in aesthetics, so they don't really understand that point. Um, mm-hmm. Rainbow Dash is like the I'll know it when I'll see it client. He's just like, I just want it to be cool. What does that mean? I don't know, but it needs to be cool. So you, you as an artist, you have to spend all this time like just playing guess and check, like throwing random ideas and seeing which ones stick when you could otherwise be focusing on getting the job done. But because the person you're working with can't accurately describe what they're looking for, you have nothing to base your work off of, so you just have to guess and check. So that's mm-hmm. wasting your time. Twilight's the overmanaging client because she knows exactly what she wants down to like the very last specific mm-hmm. detail, and that means that you have no freedom to do what you want. And again, since they're not trained in aesthetics, or they don't know much about art, it's going to come off as a mess. Applejack is the uh, form over function, the utilitarian client. She's just like, well, what if it rains? It needs galoshes. It's like, well, galoshes mm-hmm. are ridiculous, you know, and it's not going to rain, especially because Pegasi control the weather here, so it's probably not going to rain tomorrow <laughs> and things like that. So so Applejack doesn't care about aesthetics. She just wanted it to be functional. And the problem is, as an artist, your whole job is <laughs> aesthetics. So when someone doesn't care about your bread and butter, it just creates a lot of tension. So each of the characters represented an archetype that you meet in real life when you do creative work that yeah, are you know, frustrating so it was just it was a really awesome level of like meta commentary on top of everything because you got to keep in mind everyone who's working on the show is an artist and i kind of want to say that i probably didn't give uh give this as much thought as you have definitely but um you basically just described every single bad client that i've had to deal with <laughs> Um, across, exactly, exactly. across my years, like one so of beautiful. each, one of each. I've had, in fact, some of them come in <laughs> combinations. Like the guy who doesn't know what he wants, but yet has to be incredibly specific about everything. And when, you know, when you try to explain gently, like, um, yeah, this is probably not going to work. Look at it in the light, Pinky. It's not going to work. And they're just like, no, I don't care. You know, streamers. That's what I want. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's frighteningly resonating with real life. Um, this show has layers, man. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> anyway, talking about layers and stuff, we got a third question. And the third question is, how did you become a fan of the show? It was a long, convoluted journey. Uh, because I have two younger sisters. One is 22, and one just turned 12. So back in the day... I had to watch G3 oh while babysitting her <laughs> all the time. So I've seen, like, the Butterfly Island special in Minty's Christmas way more times than I really care to admit. Um, so when someone says My Little Pony, that was my initial in- interpretation was just like, you know, like, like why Pegasus ponies love ice cream? Just like, this is stupid as hell. So I first ran into My Little Pony on Joystick, uh, which is a gaming blog. And they were talking about fighting his magic. Mm. And so I looked at it and I was like, wow, this animation is really good. Like, this is incredible for a fan made project done in Fighter Maker. Like, usually games that come out of that are pretty slapdash. <laughs> this one looks pretty good. Um, so that was my first exposure to, like, the property. But I didn't go check out the show for it. I was just like, oh, that's cool, whatever. And people are weird. This is the internet. Um, but this was back in, I want to say, the middle of 2012. So it was just really starting to pick up steam at this point. And um, I kept seeing it, like, all over the place. So eventually I was just like, all right, I can't escape this. And the thing that, like, finally got me to sit down and watch a show is I ordered something off of eBay. Oh, and it came and it came in My Little Pony wrapping paper. And it had nothing oh. to do with ponies. It was like, 
I bought like oh my god, I don't even remember some something for electronics. Uh, because I'm really big into technology, so I buy stuff like that all the time. It was something, and it, and it came so in my little Sony wrapping paper, and it was like the, the the crappy 3D things that had like the red and the blue kind of like distorted images all over it, and had like Spike and Parody and all the characters, like the stock vectors that they use for everything. I'm just like, okay, it's not even on my computer screen anymore. It's like in my face now, literally. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to sit down and see what this is all about. So I watch up to Guild of the Brush Off, and I'm like, yeah, this show's pretty good. Uh, I can definitely understand why it has an audience, um, but for some reason it didn't. It didn't click with me then. Like I liked it and I understood why it was good, but I didn't get obsessed. And then um, I think a month after that, my sister, my older sister, the 22 year old one, comes in, and she's like, "Yo, my friend has been sending me all these uh, all these like creepy pastas and things, and they sent me this one about My Little Pony. And you watch that show, right? Like you should definitely read this." <laughs> and so she sends me cupcakes. Oh God. <laughs> So I read Cupcakes, not knowing what it was, mind you, um, until, like, I got to the end. I was like, all right, well, that was freaking weird. And I was just, like, so, like, confused about how someone could take this innocent little show and, like, desecrate it to such a degree. Because, again, like, I don't usually go searching out Grimdark. It's not really my thing. So it's like, all right, well, I need to, like, cleanse my mental palate now. So I went back and watched more of the show. So I started with uh, Ghostbusters. And then from that point, for some reason, I just got completely hooked. And I've marathoned the rest of the show in the, over the course of, like, a day and a half. So I guess I owe it to Cupcakes for, like, getting me addicted, which is kind of weird. You're not the first, my friend. You're not the first. Oh my but that, that took, like, five months from start to finish. So it was a slow indoctrination process. Mm-mm. No, but still, uh, that's not the first. Because Charlie here got into the ponies via Cupcakes. Hey, not really. I mean, it, I got into the fandom via Cupcakes, but um, that was just the beginning of like seeing the community. It's not the beginning of the show. Well, anyway, <clears throat> my last question is, what do your family and friends think about your love for the show? Well, most of my friends now are into the show, too, because I've met them all via the community. Uh, I, don't, I don't have many friends outside of the internet. My friend Devin, I've known since high school, and he doesn't get it at all. Uh, he's definitely, he's like super hipster. He's like so hipster, he doesn't even admit that he's hipster. He's interesting. He's an interesting guy. And uh, he's asked me multiple times, he's like, so do you... That's not a word! Like, that's the, only, that's the only question he wants to know. Like, he's really interested in it, to the point where I'm kind of concerned for him, to be honest. Um, but that's, that's what he, so he just doesn't get it. My parents have always known that I'm... That's not a word! ...weird, because I've, I've always been a weirdo. Like, I, I stopped growing up mentally at 10 years old, so I'm like... Like, you don't even... I have, like, this, like, giant shrine to myself and do celibacy full of, like, Pokemon and My Little Pony and Adventure Time and Powerpuff Girls and Digimon, like, all this junk. So, like, I'm never going to get laid again. Ever. <laughs> just It's just... It's over. So... Yeah, join the like, club, man. It's cool. They, they, my parents know that I'm just a lost cause and, like, never going to grow up. Can, can I just well, say something? At least... At, at least it's your friend asking you if you... That's not a word! ...to, uh, you know, ponies. I, I can tell you with all seriousness that my brother asks me if I... That's not a word! ...to ponies. And sometimes you will leave... That's not a word! ...around my computer to try and beat me <laughs> to see what I'll do. <laughs> all right, so... You guys oh, you protect your system, dude. That's the lesson to learn here. 
Oh. Password protect your computer. What the hell have I gotten myself oh. into? Exactly. You dug yourself into a hole and <clears throat> now it's getting bigger and deeper and deeper. Oh my god. Well, uh, one thing for sure is the show is not boring. <laughs> you see, my sister, my sister doesn't do that because she's just as messed up as I am, just in different ways. So, like, yeah, it's like I'm into ponies, like, way too much, but, like, she, like, plays, like, boys love, like, you know, visual novels. So we're both just Ooh. like, yeah, we're both screwed up. Let's just, you know, <laughs> form an alliance okay. here. So, so we're we're, uh, we're all messed very up. Short take. <laughs> okay. Anyway, um, with that, we we can move on. Thanks, Tommy, for answering the four important questions. That well, <laughs> that uh, was the most interesting um, fourth answer ever. Like, yeah, I love it. That was. That was the most detailed reason for why you like your favorite character that I've ever heard on this show before. Indeed. So anyway, let's move on to housekeeping. And on November 2nd, the NBA show crew participated in Extra Life 2013, a 25-hour gaming marathon to raise money for Sick Kids Hospital Toronto. During the 25-hour gaming marathon, we interacted with the guests and the audience, and also we answered some questions. Thanks to all the guests that joined us, Friend of the show, James Corr, sketchy song from EFN's sketchy song live songcast, and the talented Lionheart cartoon from Duo Cartoonist, PVL's big boss, Silver Eagle, everybody's friend, Shikari Speeder, and a very special thank you to fanfic writer Kitsune Ritsu for accompanying the show crew through the whole thing. We also... Yeah, I wonder who that guy is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> And we really appreciate to the people who donated to the good cause. Together we had raised 315 bucks for Sick Kids Hospital Toronto. You can still donate if you want to. Links to the donation page are in the show notes. Together we can help kids and make a difference. So yeah, last week we went all out and played games for 25 hours. Whew, that was nuts. Yeah, that was crazy, no, man. You were half dead too, indeed, I think. Indeed. No, but, but, yeah, but those were some of the best games of Left 4 Dead I've ever played before in my life. <laughs> Tommy, do you have Left 4 Dead? I do. I don't usually play it. I haven't played like I haven't sat down and like legit played a video game in forever. Oh. Mm. You're just like so busy, like doing all this crap. And... Oh. Pony stuff, right? Ponies consume your all your time doing. Uh, Pretty much. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous, but you know. You know, maybe one do. day, maybe one day when we are all free, we should start up a game and. Ask people that we know for money to raise for charity and stuff, and just say, "What well, just start playing video games?" <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, no, no, possibly. But anyway, thanks everyone. Thank you, Kitsune, for being there. So anyway, moving on to the next topic is news time, and in today's news time, MLP soundtrack possibly coming. In a recent tweet by Daniel Ingram, he stated that the possibility of a My Little Pony friendship with Magic soundtrack might be coming. Right now, nothing much is known about the soundtrack. Links can be found in the show notes. So, I'm hyped for this. I am really excited. Any of you excited for a soundtrack? Hmm. In, I believe uh, there was a soundtrack, not an official one, that has been floating around since forever because uh, you know how the fandom is. They compile almost anything and everything from the show. Mm-hmm. And they've even got the background music by William Anderson and all. So... An official one would be nice because um, then we can get it all in high quality and stuff. But it feels a little bit, um, how you say, um, like too late to the show. Unnecessary at this yeah, point. Yeah, the fans, the fans done it first. 
Well, it's not official by Hasbro, but what about you, Tommy? What do you think? If it comes out, that'll be awesome, because, I mean, I have the, the UST, the unofficial soundtrack, which I think we touched on, and uh, it's good. The problem is that, like, they're just pulling the audio from the background of the show. Oh, that's true. Some tracks just kind of start cut off quickly, or they're, you can still hear, like, uh, yeah, the back vocals have, like, and stuff. Yeah, and stuff in it. Yeah, so if they release something, like, official that's really clean and, like, designed to actually be a soundtrack and not just pulled, like, because there are definitely some tracks... Uh, in the show that aren't, like, played completely. They're just snippets of them, so they're only, like, 15, 20 seconds long. If you got, like, a full kind of, like, you know, arranged composition of that track, that'd be really nice. Oh. So I'd love to see it. Plus, you know, that would be great for fan projects, as then you have, like, mm. the full tracks you can use for backing tracks for, for projects and stuff. So yeah. I say do it. I would buy it. Yeah, I, I am looking forward to uh, a five-minute remix of the Piggy Dance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that is, uh, I have to agree with all of you because I too use soundtrack from the show to highlight William Anderson's work because he does need the love. Nobody really, well, nobody really notices songs. That's the problem. So he does need the love. But here's another thing: if you think about it. The soundtrack here, it might not be the background music. It could be the song from the show. Mm. I, I, it may be. I mean, it could go either way. But the fact is that Daniel Ingram is the one who's tweeting it. So possibly it's going to be these, you know, the singing songs. Or I think it depends. It depends on on who they're trying to market it to. If they're trying to market it to, to us, then it'll probably be a complete OST, like with everything. If it's marketed more towards the kids, it'll probably just be the songs, you know, like, sing along with Pinkie Pie, you know, like, something like that. So it depends uh, on which direction they want to push it in, I think. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Honestly, in a business standpoint, do both. You know you're going to sell. Do like what the yeah. Japanese do when they do their video game soundtracks. I own mm-hmm. most of them. <laughs> yeah, but then then again, this is Hasbro that we're talking about. Yeah. You know, the same geniuses who came up with uh, stuff like Twilight and... <laughs> And you know the the crystal, crystal empire, empire dropping out of nowhere. Uh, crystal pony is the best line of toys in the whole series. Seriously speaking, <laughs> they look exactly the same as normal, except they have glittery stuff in their hair. And Why? they have hexagonal eyes as well, actually. Yes, hexagonal eyes because that works, right? Yeah. <laughs> we shall trust. We shall put our trust in Hasbro and and hope that they don't put hexagonal notes in the. That's not a word. Soundtrack. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, let's move on to the next news topic. So, in the next news topic, Season 3 DVD coming soon. Good news for you bronies that collect the episodes on DVD. The Season 3 DVDs of My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. The DVDs will cost you $13.98 and will be released on February 4th, 2014. They will be two DVDs in this set and will include all 13 episodes. As a bonus feature, they will include a sing-along track and a clip from the 2013 San Diego Comic-Con My Little Pony Friendship is Magic panel. Links can Ooh. be found in the show notes. So, guys, um, who here collects the episode via DVD? Uh, not me, unfortunately. For me? You? Please say yes. No, uh, I got my HD rips. Here's my thing, okay? Here's my thing. DVDs, cool. DVDs made by Shout Factory, less cool. All right, because I don't, I don't know if you guys know, but Shout Factory is the company 
that as of late has been pulling all of the analysis videos and all of the, the pony videos off of YouTube. Oh. So they're the company, and they don't have any right to because obviously they don't own the property. They just own the this DVD distribution rights. But they pulled Paleo's video. They pulled Saber Sparks Battle of the Brony video. They pulled one of Digi's videos. They pulled Golden Fox videos. They're pulling a bunch of stuff off claiming copyright on it, even though they don't. So I'm not on good terms with Shout Factory right now. So Shout Factory, if you want me to buy DVDs from you, you better shape up or I'm going to be upset. That is not fair. You guys do analysis videos. This doesn't really have to do anything with the show. Yeah, and isn't there some sort of like laws against this or something? Digital rights media or something? We have uh, we have uh, the Fair Use Act, oh, which covers, covers parody and, and commentary. Problem is, it's not really enforced very well. And technically, it's on a case-by-case basis. Um, it's, not, it's not a blanket statement. So in order to enforce it, you have to go to court. And like present your case. It you can't do that ways. on a scale from YouTube. Uh-huh. Even the copyright laws is not properly enforced as well. So you can argue the other issue and how you say if you word it correctly, then it should be able to resolve the issue. Mm. U.S. copyright law is just a mess, unfortunately, and now we're all paying a price for it. <laughs> well, that that sucks. But anyway, um, you can still get the. Uh, you know what? This is it. <laughs> So anyway, if you're interested in getting the DVD, it's there on Amazon for you to get. And yeah. So let's move on to the next topic, guest time. So in today's episode, we have Tommy Oliver, or Brony Curious. How are you doing, man? Not too bad. Just sitting here, eating a Pop-Tart. So, I, I was right. You were doing something. So, <laughs> enjoying um, enjoying yourself? Having fun? Yeah. Awesome, awesome. We've done, we done something right. So, um, mind introducing yourself to the people who might not know who you are and what you do? Sure. All right, so my name's Tommy Oliver. Um, I've been in this community since, mm, I want to say the tail end of 2012. So coming up on two years of uh, community stuff. But um, I do, I got my hands on a couple different cookie jars in the community. Um, I write some fan fiction on fan fiction under the username Tommy Oliver Writes. Um, I do uh, a lot of drawing and art stuff um, on my DeviantArt channel. Which is uh, Tommy Oliver draws, and I, my big project there is a uh, ten-chapter comic about Trixie that is going to be done someday. I have the first issue out; it's twenty-two pages, no, twenty-eight pages, and I'm working on the second issue, which will be twenty-two pages. So that's pretty cool. My big claim to fame, though, I guess, quote-unquote fame, uh, pony fame, if you want, if you want to be specific, I guess is uh, my analysis and commentary views on YouTube. So the guy who's obsessed with rarity, that's 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 me. So, I mean, you might have seen my, my collaboration with Anthony Sinner about Karen Lot Wedding, which is half an hour long, and I'm currently working on a video deconstructing a question girl. It's going to be 50 minutes long, so get ready for that. I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, that, one, that one's going to sound... That one sounds a bit interesting. Equestria that, girls. Yeah, what, so what I did, did you I think did, of Equestria girls? That's the, that's the <laughs> first question that anyone's going to ask. We're going we're gonna to open up this can of worms, huh? <laughs> yes, we, yes, we are. All right. I did say it was an open book, so I guess I, guess I have to. <laughs> was not a big fan. Didn't like it very much. I'm one of those people who appreciates good storytelling, and I like characterization. I like plot progression. I like characterization. I like character arcs. Um, I like logic. I like things that make sense. That's very important. Even even when you're talking about magical rainbow death beams, mm-hmm. I like magical rainbow death beams that at least are kind of explained in the context of their own reality. The Question Girls doesn't really do a lot of that, and a lot of people are just like, "Yo, it's a show for little girls. Calm down, right?" Because, mm-hmm. like, I've said my fair piece about Equestria Girls in the past, and I will say 
very much in the next week, couple of upcoming few weeks. We're going to release one part every week for the next couple of weeks, starting next Wednesday or something like that. And um, the problem is, is that for me, a question girl spelled very short of what the show has delivered in terms of storytelling and just narrative integrity, if you will. I don't know. I just found, I was very disappointed by what was presented uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, there are just things going on in the film that kind of contradicted everything that we've been told about, you know, like the elements of harmony and things like that. And it just didn't work for me. And I can I can appreciate it, cause, you know. There's 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 guys like Digi Brown who's just like, oh, it's just like you know, enjoy it for the spectacle. It's a great light and sound show, and it's not what I'm here for. So I can't. I have trouble appreciating things strictly in that regard, especially when you're going into it expecting it to be like the show or having the same level of expectation and quality mm-hmm. of the show. And I just didn't feel that it meant that. And so, I mean, I'm being kind of purposely vague because I don't want to spoil too much of my video that it spent like three months writing. That's but um, understandable. Uh, yeah, if you want to know a very well-worded 27-page long script or 50-minute explanation of why I didn't like Equestria Girls, like point by point by point, check out my YouTube channel over the next three weeks. I'll be dropping a video every week that'll be 10 to 15 minutes long yes. for a total of like 45 to 50 minutes of talking about this film. That's a good reason to subscribe. So if you do not like Equestria Girls, like how Tommy doesn't like it, you should watch his video because I am mm. interested. I do like it, but I'm not sure what I like about it. So with you telling me what you don't like about it, maybe it's a comparison of what I like. So anyway, so Tommy, um, sorry for the out of the gate equestrial question, but um, I got a question for you. How, how do you get, how do you got started in the whole video analyst thing? Because it's rare. I talked to a few analyst bronies and they got it because they were thought it was fun. They wanted to, express their opinion, nobody done it before. What about you? How did you got into it? It was peer pressure, <laughs> to be completely honest. That's that's how I got started. Um, because I people primarily know me because of my, my video making and like just the commentary videos and analysis videos I do on YouTube. Um, me personally I, I self identify as a storyteller. That's that's my big thing. So whether it's writing stories or like drawing comics, like that's what I've been doing since like high school, I've made stories. That's that's just what I do. Um, you know, my tagline on my channel is appreciating the art of the narrative, and that's just that's just what I've always been about. Is like stories intrigue me, characters intrigue me, characterization intrigues me, and so like all my videos usually have that spin. Like I'm talking about story and narrative and character pro- progression and stuff like that. So internally, ever since like forever, I've always examined storytelling, um, but just never publicly, just in my head. Because like when I'm working on stories, it's like okay what works and what doesn't work. I'm going to look at the media that I like and I'm going to examine it. It's like, okay, this character is working because of this reason. I like it because they're doing this. And so when I started watching My Little Pony, I got into it like hardcore. I started doing the same thing. Um, I was looking at it, trying to examine things to figure out, okay, well, why don't I like Fluttershy as much as I like Rarity? Why is Rainbow Dash resonating with me despite the fact that like I would hate someone like her in real life and blah, 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 and things like that. And so... One of the things is uh, the first person I really got to know, like, really tight in the community was Paleo. Because um, my first big pony project was a 70-page picture book called Sister Who Slighted, and it was all about Scootaloo. And I gave Scootaloo an episode before the show did, like, eight months before the show did, but whatever. Um, so I did this picture book, and Paleo found it, and he started messaging me on Tumblr, and we started talking about it. 
at this point, I hadn't made a YouTube channel or anything yet. I was just working on my art stuff. And I was talking to Paleo one day. We were talking about the show. And I'm just like, you know, Applejack... Applejack is an interesting character, you know? She doesn't really get any love. And people people don't seem to like her as much. And, and I'm just trying to explain to him why I thought that. I'm like, well, I think that her character is just kind of completed, you know? She doesn't have any goals or aspirations. And they, the show doesn't have much to do with her. She's very much a supporting character. She's like the wise sage archetype. And, like, telling us a pale, he's like, you really need to make a video about this. Like, dude, I don't make videos. Like, come on. He's like, nah, just do it. Like, put it on YouTube. Because he made, who's doing reviews back then uh, on his channel. So he's like, yo, you got to do this. Like, just make a video. Like, this is interesting stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. So I made a video, and it's called Why Applejack Gets No Love, at least from the writers. And that was my first video I ever did. And um, that got me a couple hundred subs. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I guess people like this. Um, and... I did another video after that on uh, the Nightmare Moon arc and why I wasn't a huge fan of it. Cause I'm, I'm, I really like the show for its slice of life stuff. Um, I think that's where the writers are really comfortable when they're just ta- talking about slice of life events and like 22 minutes of comedy. And I find that anytime they delve into like long format story arcs, is things start to get shaky, especially in the second act. Um, I find that they can't they can't close out these stories very well. And not that they're bad, but there's like the second act of all the, the two parters seems to kind of fall apart a little bit. Um, so I was talking about that in the second video, and that got some views too. And then I didn't do anything. I just stopped doing videos because from uh, November to February, that's when I did the first Trixie comics. That's 28 pages long. They're half, almost all of them were full color pages, like full painted backgrounds and everything. So that took forever. So that was that was that amount of time. And then while I was working on this comic, that was all about. Trixie and like what happened after uh, Ghostbusters Magic Duel came out and it like screwed up my story because like my whole story was supposed to be what happened after Ghostbusters and Magic Duel comes out and like redeems her in 22 minutes like in a totally like half-assed way. I'm just going to swear. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to. No, no but problem. No problem. I'm getting heated now because this made me mad. <laughs> <laughs> so I go back on YouTube. I'm like, you know what? You know what? I'm just going to have my fanboy minute. Everybody has it. I deserve one. Here we go. So I just got up there. I was like, yo, Magic Duel was cool, but what about that last 30 seconds? What was that? That was a load of crap. Like, it didn't make any sense, blah, blah. I didn't like it. It's like, over here, trying to do this, like, whole, like, 200-page redemption arc. They, like, examines her as a character, and they come over, and she's just like, I was mean, but now I'm not mean anymore. I'm sorry. Okay, forgive you. La, 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 la. It's like, what? What? So I got mad. And I did that. So that got some views. And most people were like, shut up, man, you're fanboying. I'm like, yo, everybody gets one, okay? Everybody gets one. So the week after that, friggin' um, Sleepers in Ponyville. Let's go. Sleepers in Ponyville comes out, okay? And Sleepers in Ponyville, I had done a book on Scooter. And then Sleepers in Ponyville <laughs> comes out. I'm just like, yo, this is like just like my book. Like, she even takes her flying at the end. This is awesome. So, because like Paleo messages me because he would watch the, the episodes live. <laughs> And I'd wait for the HD thing to go up on YouTube. And I'm like, yo, how was the episode? He's like, yo, your book came true. I was like, dude, I'm stoked. So I watch it, and it was awesome. It was like one of my favorite episodes. I'm like, I'm just going to rant about this. So at 3 in the morning, I just started ranting about it, like, into my mic with no script or anything. Just like, this is so awesome. So then I had two videos on season three. And so all the comments are like, dude, I can't wait to watch your video next week. Like, what are you talking about? I have no plans on doing any more of these. And they're just like, no, dude, you got it. You got to talk about next week's episode. It's going to be awesome. It's like, ah. <laughs> Okay. And so then I did all of season three. And then 
and then at that point, I had like a thousand subscribers. I'm like, whoa, a thousand subscribers! I can't even. So it's like I gotta keep doing stuff. Now I have an audience. So I'm like, oh, I guess I'm just gonna keep talking about stuff. I guess I'll go back and do season one. And and I met Anthony C. And I'm like, dude, we should do a Candlelight Wedding thing. So we did the Candlelight Wedding review that blew up. And all of a sudden, I have like 35,000 subscribers. I'm like, well, I guess this is a thing that I do now. So yeah, it was just peer pressure. Blame Paleo. It's all his fault. Thanks, Paleo. <laughs> but still, uh, peer pressure, um, that's new. Yeah, it's quite common. No, not really, because uh, with this kind of thing, because some people say, oh, I was good. Previously, I was doing something else on another fandom or another project. And you know what? I thought I brought it here in Two Ponies. No, you just got peer pressure into it because you you, you speak your mind. I do have something to ask of you. Uh, uh, just to branch off from the... You mentioned earlier that uh, first you met Paleo on Tumblr and then later on you met Anthony C. So, um, how did you guys come up with an idea to collab and actually make uh, uh, combined videos? Uh, you know, those long ones. My goal when I did the Nightmare Moon video, which is the second video I ever did, was to examine all three of the adventure arcs. Because at that point, there was just um, Nightmare Moon, Discord, and Camelot Wedding. Those were the only three that were out. I was like, yo, I'm going to like put these three by paces. Especially with Camelot Wedding. I was like, Camelot Wedding is a great popcorn episode, but when you stop and think about what's going on, none of it makes sense. None of it. Chrysalis, what are you doing? Like, like, like Shining Armor, what are you doing? Like, why are you here? Cadence, where did you come from? Like, nothing, nothing about it made sense. As long as you just sat there and just, like, spectacle... It was awesome, and I loved it. It's a fun episode to watch. You know, this day, Arya was dope, and, like, the fighting scene that, like, totally made fun of the Matrix was, like, awesome. Like, Rarity punched him in the face. Like, yeah! <laughs> but narratively, what's going on? Like, I don't understand. So I was like, yo, I'm going to, like, break this down for a second. So I was going to do that, and then I ran into Anthony C's videos, like, related to mine, because, like, I checked comments oh, with this. All right. So I found his videos. I'm like, this dude is a genius. Like, <laughs> like if I could be, like, a tenth as good as this man, my life would be complete. So, and I found him on DeviantArt as well, because he did a bunch of Flash cartoons on DA. And uh, one of the things he did that I really liked was his Negative Nelly series, which is, um, he talked about the the, uh, the new Star Trek reboot and Mass Effect 2, and they're really short little things. This little, like, cartoon bunny rabbit um, talking about these things. And she's, like, super nerdy, even though she denies it, and just talking about all these nerdy things. I'm like, this is adorable. I love it. So, his, his, um, his reviewing his Magic series... If you watch them, they're all leading up to, like, how much he hates Canterlot Wedding. And, like, he just kept playing it up. Like, at the end, it's, like, just, like, like, that, that, like, that one soundtrack. Like, he's looking, like, angrily staring into the camera. Just, like, I'll get to that episode. You know? I'm just, like, yo, dude, I'm doing an episode on Canterlot Wedding, too. And he's, like, yo, you want to collab on this? I'm, like, do it. So. Oh, wow. Okay. The funny thing about Canterlot Wedding, the video, it took. Eight months to make. Eight months? Almost one year? Okay, so we started it, like, way the... Like, before Season 3 even aired. We're like, yo, let's get this out before Season 3 starts. Didn't happen. <laughs> Didn't come out until after Season 3. <laughs> so, because the, the script was 20-something pages. And we were going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Because I had a script, and he had a script. Like, alright, we need to, like, make this one script. And I'm just like... He's like, no, we got to make it, like, a conversation. We have to play off of each other. I'm like, all right, fine, let's do that. And so I was like, I have these points that I want to make. He's like, I just want to make this awesome Cimmerillion reference at the end. Like, that's all I really care about. I'm like, dude, what? Yeah. He's like, just roll with me on this. This is going to be fantastic. I'm like, okay. So I had all these points. I'm like, Crystal's plan doesn't make sense. Cadence says an alicorn. Like, what the heck? It just ruins the lore of everything, and it doesn't make sense. Shining armor, what are you doing here? Like, 
had all these points I wanted to go through. He's like, yo, I just want, I just want this Cimmerillion thing. And so we were going back and forth, and he he made all the dialogue. It was funny because I had my points to spread out. And he's like, yo, I'm just gonna like sprinkle in all these things. And like he had the awesome point where like you know, like you know, love didn't save the day. Twilight's mistrusted, and. <laughs> And so we were just going back and forth, and, like, we tightened up the script, and I had to do the recording for it before he... Because he did all the animation and the editing, because he's a way better animator than I am. Like, way better. So he's like, all right, I want you to talk about the Silmarillion. I'm like, dude, I've never even watched... I mean, I've never even read the Silmarillion. Like, I don't even know how to say these words. I'm like, like, Aya? Like, friggin', like, what is this? And he's like, yo, just go watch some YouTube videos, learn how to pronounce them, and they just record it for me. I'm like, but this is your point. Everyone's going to think I did it. Like, you need to say it. He's like, no, nah, I just want to react to it. I'm like, you're a weird guy, Anthony. Okay, fine. <laughs> so I spent, like, two days, like, w- watching some Marillion videos so I could figure out, like, how to say Melkor correctly and, like, you know, the Falar of Amon and all this weird crap. So I say it, I do it, and then he spends, like, forever, forever editing because I sent him a bunch of drawings because I did all the base drawings of my character and his character. But he's like, yo, these aren't enough poses. So he, like, added a bunch of extra facial expressions, a bunch of extra poses, and, like, all this crap. I'm like, dude, you could have told me to do it while you edited. He's like, no, dude. Just... He's kind of a control freak, which is interesting. Like, in, a, in an adorable way. There's nothing about Anthony that's aggressive. He's just, like, the greatest human being ever. Okay. Um, so eight months later, it's finally done, and we finally drop it, and everyone loves it. So it was like, thank God, because if that video flopped, like, holy crap. But, yeah, that was, like, a huge, massive endeavor. And it was just, like, ridiculous. And now, like, I have a 50-minute video, so I can't wait to see how this turns out. Well, uh, I can't wait to watch it, man, because hearing you talk about it, I hear passion, and I, I can't wait to look at it, look at the video. Mm. I, I've, I've seen that video, actually. That, although it was long, it was very captivating because, well, just let's put it this way. You have good points, and you really know how to express and animate yourself at the points just using... Well, voices and poses of OCs. That's that's a selling selling point, I believe. Yeah, I mean Anthony's great at writing the dialogue and stuff, so it was just, I, I the, our work styles complemented each other really well. So I was, it just it came out really well, really nicely. Awesome. But actually, I would like to know um, this idea of having the pose uh, OC poses. It's taken from, I mean, it came way back, right? I mean, you guys were not the first to implement such an idea. No, as far as I know, because. The, the interesting question is, who was the first analyst? Mm. The first person was Golden Fox. He was the first one to start doing analysis. Then Paleo was the second. And then we all kind of emerged at the same time. I know me, Digi, and Anthony all started around the same time. ANY started, I think, a little, either about the same time or a little after. And we all just kind of met each other through related videos, because none of us knew any of each other from the get-go. It was one of those things where we all kind of met through osmosis from YouTube, this algorithm. <laughs> um, but I don't know where everyone else got the idea for um, for the, the OCs, but the reason that me and Digi have our OCs on the left is because we just blatantly copied uh, Sequelitis from, from Ego Raptor. <laughs> Like, Ooh. I'm not even, no shame. Like, I was just like, yo, Sequelitis is the best thing ever. He's got a guy on the left, and he moves around. I'm doing it. So <laughs> that's where mine came from. And, like, the first video, the Applejack video, I actually did it in Flash. We had the little bounce when he transitioned and stuff. But that was a nightmare to in, in, import into Premiere, so I stopped doing it after the first one. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we just we just totally copied Sequelitis. That, so. that is a good show to copy. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to copy, you might as well copy the best, right? Indeed, indeed. 
So I got a question here. How do you make a video? Like, what's the process? Like, from start to end? Let's just take your right. Understanding Mary Sue, for example. Sure. Um, it starts with an idea. And I have way too many ideas. I have a huge list of things on on, uh, on my Google Drive, like videos I want to make from like eight months ago that I still haven't gotten to. But um, there are some that... I'll sit on for a while and write because I have a full speculative history of a question that's like 15 pages long that I'm someday going to do that ties together the comics, the show, and my headcanons all into one nice cohesive package. But I'm sitting on that because season four is probably going to break like half of it. There's that. And that's been sitting forever. But the, the Mary Sue video was something that just came to me like really quickly because there was a Tumblr post going on about Superman that I was reading. And we, I just started talking to people about Superman. And I was like, you know what? Superman is like, like a Mary Sue to a lot of people. And I hear people using this term wrong all the time. I want to say my piece about this. So it starts with the idea, and then I'll write the script. Uh, because if I if I was going to say what my special talent, quote-unquote, is, it's definitely writing. Writing is definitely um, probably the skill that I gravitate to the most naturally. Because um, I can write pretty efficiently, and I would say pretty well. Um, you know, people have obviously liked my analysis videos, and people have liked my fiction that on, on film fiction, so I, I must be doing something, right? Uh, so I'll write the script out from start to finish. I'll tweak it a little bit. Um, and from there, I'll record it. So I got my uh, my Samson Media mic that DB Pony recommended to me, which is a pretty decent mic. I'll just edit the audio on Audacity. I'll go in, cut out all the breathing, all the little, like, click things, get rid of the noise, run a compressor filter on it, trying to clean it up and make it sound nice. From there, I'll import it into Premiere, and I'll drag in, like, all my assets, like my OC poses and the background and my footage, and I'll just start cutting it up, and that's the most taxing part. Like, I really, I hate video editing, like, passionately. Like, I just, I'm so bored by it, and it's it's, it's unfortunate, because that's the most important part. Like, that's the, the pretty pictures that keep people interested, and that that's that's where I just, I just lose interest. I like writing things, and I like telling stories and stuff, but uh, for some reason, cutting video just is a bore to me, and so that, even just when I do it by myself, is, like, a real struggle, and that's why I have Formula Dash, who does a lot of my editing, because... Um, uh, he's really into video editing, and he is way better at it than I am. He has a lot of interesting flair. And plus, he has a sense of humor where I don't. Like, I'm really boring. I'm just like, yo, I'm just going to beat you over the head with facts, you know? And so that's why my collaboration videos are great, because Anthony has a great sense of humor, and he'll add jokes and stuff in. And, like, my jokes are, like, usually I have, like, two jokes a video. Like, Anthony will have, like, 50 jokes a video. What's great about Formula Dash, he works so well because all of his humor is visual humor. So I'll be talking seriously, and he'll add, like, visual gags throughout the video to keep you entertained that I would never think of doing. So you can tell when it's, in, when it's a uh, Formula Dash video because it's funny. When it's my <laughs> video, it's just, like, straight information. But, yeah, after the video editing's done, you know, it's pretty much done at that point. You just throw it up on YouTube. So depending on how complicated and how in-depth the video is and how long it is, that can take, like, a couple hours to, like, a couple weeks, depending on which one it is. Because right now, the, uh, the Question Girls video is a collab as well. I'm doing it with Bvids, who is he does a lot of awesome PMVs and stuff on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So if you're not subscribed to Bvids, you should go check him out. He did a PMV called The Six, and it's like <laughs> fantastic. But um, the reason we're collabing is because we met at BronyCon 2013, mm-hmm. and it was like four in the morning, and we're all in the. It's me, Bvids, uh, Digibrony, Digibrony's brother Victor, and for a little while we even ran into Griffinella from uh. Friendship is Witchcraft. So we're all just chilling on the Radisson. And Beavis is like, yo, I got some vodka tonic. Who wants to get drunk? <laughs> so him, him, Digi, and Digi's brother Victor all got hammered at like four in the morning. 
and they're just talking about Equestria Girls. And Beavis hated the movie. Digi loved the movie. Yes. Was drunk and going at it. I don't drink, so I'm just there, completely like, like, like loose, like totally like, like focused, just listening to this like drunken debauchery going on in front of me. And I'm like, this is fantastic. Like, I'm just like, I don't even need to say a word. Beavis has got like everything I would say in defense of this. Like, he's just got it covered. And I'm like, yo, Beavis. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing an Equestria Girls review, and I want to do it in the style of Red Letter Media. He's like, dude, I wanted to do a review of Equestria Girls in the style of Red Letter Media. I'm like, are we collabing on this video? He's like, we totally are. So uh, I had my script. He had his script. So we kind of melded them together. We talked for, I don't know, like 15 hours, like all the way to like three in the morning one night, just like doubling the sides of the script with all these other plot holes and stuff we were coming up with. And, like, he's doing all the editing, so it's going to probably blow my mind how great it looks. But, uh, yeah, that's that's how that happened. So, like, if I was going to edit a 45-minute video, I would probably die because I would just get so bored. Ten minutes is kind of my limit when it comes to videos. If it's longer than ten minutes, I'm usually just like, God, kill me. But, yeah, 45 is pretty brutal. But, no, Beavis likes editing video, and he's freaking great at it. So the video's going to look way better than anything I would have done. All right, Ethan. No, the, the reason is because when I saw your videos and stuff, I, I can tell they were awesome because the two things that you recently posted, I take a look at it and, well, I love how you end the things I like about Equestria Girls or the 10 things I like about Equestria Girls. You said 10. I only saw five. Exactly. Like, that was the point because I, I, I initially started that script. Like, all right, I'm going to find 10 things I like about this movie. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I was like, there's not even 10 things. Like, I got, to, I literally, the whole script was like a reflection of my mental state writing the video. Because I got to three, and I was like, I'm done. Like, I got three, and that's it. Like, three things. I was like, I can't stop at three, though, because that's just like a load of crap. Like, it'd be funny, but like, it's, it's mean. So I was like, all right, I got to make it to at least five. So I came up with two more, like, random things. Like, Scootaloo wears pants. Heck yeah. Like, that was cool. You know? And then the fan service. Because a lot of people are just like, man, it was such a good homage to the fans. And it was just like, there's so many cool things. And Trixie and Peanut Butter Crackers. And the cute microsaders were like singing their theme song. And it's like, okay. But you got to understand. Fan service is great. Okay. I'm not one of those people who's like, yo, don't give me fan service. Don't give me what the fans want. Because that's just backwards and weird. Right? But fan service can't be the only redeeming factor of your movie. If it is, something is wrong. Because then it's it's fan service in the it's, absence of of any, any of anything of any value. You know, the, the, the film can't stand right? alone. Because mm-hmm. if, if if you're watching the video and you're just enjoying the fan service, that means there's nothing in the film itself of any sort of credibility mm-hmm. or any value. Anything about Equestria Girls at at all and the funny thing is that you mentioned this right and um and you in fact explicitly mentioned the bit with uh the Kirimar Crusaders singing their theme song and i actually thought that was the smartest and <laughs> the funniest part of the movie was was that one reference because anytime uh the song was about to mention something pony related it yeah, would cut off it would cut like, so and i found say? that the best thing about the whole movie was that one bit, and that kind of reflects the fact that there's nothing else thought, redeeming in, in anything else. Of the movie <laughs> there were a couple, there were a couple things in the film that actually used the alternate world to its credit. 
And that was one scene. I think the fact that taking the Cutie Mark Crusaders and it's like, okay, well, Cutie Marks don't exist in this world, so what what can they be trying to do? Well, they want to be YouTube famous, okay? So that that's what they're questing for. They're questing for YouTube fame. So they're putting these videos up on YouTube trying to get, like, a million subscribers <laughs> or something. And that's that's what they're doing. So that was clever. And it was showing a way of, like, you know, integrating technology, how technology would fill the roles, fill the lives of these characters that otherwise don't have any, right? Because Equestria is not a technology-heavy place. Um so, okay, the Cutie Mark Crusaders aren't questing for a Cutie Mark. Like, they're not, they're not looking for a butt tattoo. They're trying to get subscribers. All right, I can relate to that. That's funny. That's cool. I get it. Another thing that was a great use of the, the um, alternate world was the Spike Rarity Role Reversal, which is another thing I mentioned in the video, because Spike's a dog. Rarity's a human girl. She likes cute things, so she likes Spike as a dog and is giving him all his affection, but doesn't know that Spike's actually a sentient being who has a crush on a horse version of her. Mm-hmm. So it creates this weird, like, kind of like disconnect that they're not aware of but you are as a viewer so it's a gag that's happening but isn't acknowledged by the film you're just watching it yourself and they bring it home at the end because when spike starts talking he's like i can use a rub behind the old ears and she's just like oh, jesus christ you know so it was a great way to bring it home so that was a great use of of the alternate reality because you couldn't do that gag in the show it wouldn't work so you had to have brought it there in order to make that happen so those are those are my two highlights of the movie. Like those are things that I really appreciated and I thought it was like a good use of the potential that the setting change brought. Everything else though kinda wasn't working for me for various reasons I'll explain in depth starting next week. No problem. Yeah. It wasn't irredeemable. It's just it's just uh I don't know, for what I was looking for in a film like that, it didn't it didn't it didn't work for me. So like so, it so if what, you want. What what would you be looking for? Like I mean you're go, you're gonna you know, go to the theater, right? And you're going to see Equestria Girls. It, you know the plot, uh, generally. It's um, human versions of uh, the My Little Pony crew. What what could you possibly have been expecting that might even be anything different than what was presented, you know, to, to the audience? Because, well... I, I try to think, you know, but... My Little comes Pony... Not... My Little Pony as a show, from its inception, from a creative aspect, like creative standpoint was about subversion. That's the point of the show. The point of the show is to take, because that's, again, that's what Lauren and, and, and DHX wanted to do. They wanted to take this property that has a very expected tone to it, right? After, you know, 20 years of MLP being pretty much exactly as one would expect, like the lowest common denominator, little girls entertainment in one form or another. They wanted to take this IP and have it rise above the tropes of its peers and create something with substance that that resonated with people that had some depth had some meaning it had a reason for to exist other than to sell plastic dolls to little girls they wanted it to be a cartoon of quality to show that you could make something for little girls that didn't have to be pandering and stupid but actually had a backbone to it and so that was the point of my little pony it was a subversion of expectations of that genre of entertainment and everything that the show does is a reflection of that its morals are very are very relevant and um it takes these expected kind of messages that you've heard a million times throughout your childhood, but presents them through a, a lens uh, that's very unique. Because instead of doing something like, you know, Hey Arnold or Doug or any of those other shows that had a moral backbone to them, trying to present these um, these messages through the scope of our reality, right? Layering these ethical messages on top of our society. Because our society intrinsically doesn't really work with those things, right? Because the real world is about meaningless aggregation of wealth and status, like irregardless of ethical proceedings. That's the real world. My Little Pony instead says, we're going to create a brand new world from the ground up that has it's completely disconnected from reality, where 
where these ethics and these in these these core messages are the very foundation of their society. So My Little Pony, the show, is trying to ex- show the viewer like this is this is the kind of world you can create when you have ethics being at the foundation of your society and like taking all these messages that you've kind of like put into the back of your mind and ignore because it's not how the real world works. And here's a world that does show these things. So that was the point of the show. It was it was a reinforcement of these ethical kind of uh, messages that we've heard as a child put through a lens where they can resonate and you can understand like the full effect of, of actually re- reflecting on and using these themes, right? So how can we apply that to this concept? Uh, well, first of all, it brings My Little Pony into our reality, which is kind of like a strike against it right from the get-go because like the yeah, whole point kind of, it kind of defeats the purpose of, of disconnecting the it from, from reality it was like the key of its of its success right okay so yeah, we're not going to do that true. but that's a challenge that doesn't necessarily mean it can fail it just means now you have a new challenge right so so what's the key of my little pony well the whole point of it creating was subversion so how can we subvert this topic okay so we have high school it's been done to death forever how do we make this work it's like, well, here, the interesting thing that I would have liked to see, even in passing, even just a little bit, was that we have high school, right? And this is in our reality. Not technically our reality because we're not all, like, multicolored. Um, but, like, a universe or a world that is trying to represent our reality. And in our reality, the way that the public schooling system works is all about um, mechanization of education. Right, you have a standardized, unyielding curriculum, regardless of personal strength and weakness. You always um, have to go about learning in this one specific way. Uh, you know, you have social structure that conforms to a very specific styling. Uh, high school is very much an exercise in social and educational conditioning, right? Because there's one way of learning through standardized testing, and there's one way of associating with people. You know, you have clicks and stuff like that. And even if this isn't how high school works in reality, 100% of the time, this is its stereotype as portrayed in film and animation and all that stuff. Like that's the perception of high school. So if we want to stay true to My Little Pony's roots, we need to subvert this concept somehow. How do we do that? Well, you have like the tool set right there in front of you. You have Twilight Sparkle, who doesn't live in this world. And comes from a different world. And in this world, it does exactly the opposite with its with its educational system. From what we can tell, you know, your childhood in Equestria is about finding out what makes you unique and embracing that, right? Because uh-huh. your whole point is, I'm a little kid. I need to find that one talent that most accurately defines me and cultivate that and then share it with the world. You know, that's the whole point of the Cutie Mark Crusaders, just trying to find who they really are. And that's the whole point of getting your Cutie Mark, is like, you find this one talent that most accurately refines you, and your whole life revolves around cultivating this one skill that gives you the most joy and finding a way to share that with others. So that's what equestrian society is. It's about embracing individuality as opposed to getting rid of it under the heel of, like, social dogma. So that's that's where something you could have done. You have Twilight coming from this society that is all about being true to yourself, you know, and that's, that's an easy way of like, you know, dumbing it down for the target demographic, right? Because we can't, we can't have really deep things for children. No, no. Miyazaki was wrong, <laughs> but, um, having individuality versus conformity. Okay. Yeah. That was a great way to subvert, to, t- to take this at the location of high school and see how, you know, 
their clicks. There's the way you like, you know, people are being taught this one certain way of doing so. Whereas Twilight comes from a world that's all about the individual empowering themselves and, and embracing what makes them themselves as opposed to going to school and like, well, I'm a jock mm. or I'm a nerd or I'm a musician or I'm whatever. I have to find a way to like dilute my personality mm. into one of these predetermined like roles. <laughs> and then my education is only done in one way. And I need to, you know, get A's <laughs> and like, I need yeah. to do well on my yeah, standardized test. I might actually want to point something out and, of course, this is not meant to be an attack against your crafted uh, ideals, but isn't the idea of boiling down what you are uh, based on uh, you know a single thing, or, or even the idea of cliques, uh, reflected entirely in the concept of the cutie mark? Because well, what what does the cutie mark do except that? You know, I've always seen it in in two different ways, and one of the negative ways that I see it is is basically a condemnation of who you are boiled down into a single, you know, thing, like a, a single one concept. And of course, for like the main, you know, the main six, they, they spread out of those concepts. They, they do the, do this regularly in shows. But, you know, the idea of conformity uh, in, in a school system, which reflects a real world school system, uh, I also see, you know, certain similarities in the idea of how the cutie mark works. And the cutie marks are a fundamental piece of the MLP universe. So how do you account for that uh, sort of disparity in, in the idea? Well, to me, a cutie mark is about individualism, right? So mm-hmm. a cutie mark isn't projected by culture. It's something that comes internally. Um and obviously the cutie mark crusaders show that because it's like no matter what they try and do, it's not going to come until it's ready. It's not until they're mature enough and have a good enough understanding of the self. The interesting thing about cutie marks is that I think, and maybe this is just a difference between me and you in terms of like how we perceive the self, and um, but I think we are all about one thing intrinsically. Not that we can only be about that one thing, but I think when it comes down to it, whether it's um, a skill or mo- more 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 accurately probably a belief system i think we all have one core idea that resonates with us very intrinsically and we'll fight for that for me it's definitely self-expression that's that's like my core ideal you know like that i will i will die for that if i was ever in a position where it's like you can't express yourself anymore i'd be like i'd rather be dead so i'm going to fight you to the death for it you know and i think obviously my little pony's not trying to say like put like what you die for on someone's butt, obviously. But the the, the, the idea yep. behind it, is I, that I would have everybody... to get a tattoo of like a pack of Oreos on my ass. <laughs> How do you put this out? I'm glad you're setting your standards so high. It's like, yo, give me an Oreo, I'm gonna shank you. Oh but, man, um... I'd stab a guy for an Oreo. <laughs> a cutie mark is not a sum of what someone is, but their core. You know, mm. and you can build things upon that core, but like, you know, because Twilight is like a bookworm, and she, you know, she has friends, she has a social life, and she respects her relationship with her teacher, and all those things. But they all are around her core talent of magic, right? Magic and friendship, like because yeah, magic and friendship are kind of like these weird, like interwoven kind of powers and abilities in this world. So it's hard to like put that through like an actual like lens of reality. But she respects, she has a relationship with her teacher because of her studies, which is centered around magic. Her friends were all brought together because of that friendship and magic with each other. She reads books because she wants to learn more about her skill in magic. So 
she she's a fully fleshed out character with relationships, strengths and weaknesses and like goals and aspirations, but they all center around that central goal and concept of her. Like Twilight is about learning more about magic and that's that's what she does and everything around her is kind of connected in some way to that aspect. You know, the same thing with Rarity. People ask like, "Well, what's Rarity's cutie mark mean?" It's like diamonds, so she likes gems. Like, no, it's like, you know, like Rarity Rarity's cutie mark to me means aesthetics, right? She's all about beauty and art. That's 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 her her passion. So everything she does is around based around that. Um she reason she runs her boutique, the reason she has these aspirations to like um be like the pony every pony should know in Canterlot is because she has this innate core understanding and appreciation for art and beauty, and that's what she's about. You know, Applejack has the three apples because she's all about, you know, her family and stuff. So all these characters, like, their their cutie marks represent their core, not their their uh, their entire like singular goal. You can have a personality, but I think we all resonate with something intrinsically. And I think if you if you can't answer that question, if I can't ask you like, what do you stand for? What would you die for? And you can't give me like a really specific answer. I think you need to like ask yourself that question. I think it's very important. I think it helps you understand who you are. Um, because I've asked myself that a lot and I think about it a lot, you know, because for me at least, and again, maybe this is just me being like someone who thinks too much and is projecting it onto cartoon horses. But um, I'm very much interested in self-identification or trying to understand why I think the way I do. And to understand how I perceive reality and perceive um, things that I'm ingesting, you know, like, like, you know, like ingesting media and conversations and people and ideas. I first need to understand who I am because in order to understand who I am means is how I perceive things because I can only perceive things from my perspective and my perspective is intrinsically biased because I'm an individual. I'm not like an omnipotent being. So in order for me to, for someone to say, you know, like if I want to understand capitalism as a concept, right, I first need to understand who I am. So I can understand how my core beliefs and, ex- and like uh, expectations on things affects my perception of this concept. So I think understanding the self is the most important thing because that determines how you understand and perceive everything else around you because you're perceiving everything from your own perspective. So that has something to do with cutie marks. I don't remember what it is anymore. Kind of went on a tangent, but yeah. That was a very good tangent. <laughs> I'm glad you answered Thanks, that sir. way because I mentioned I have uh, two uh, ways of understanding cutie marks, and I told you the negative one, right? Um, you know, my positive, my well, I wouldn't call it. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm diluting it to positive and negative. But my more hopeful way of uh, seeing what they are is actually kind of in sync with yours. So I you know, find it really interesting that you guys are like overanalyzing the cutie mark details. This is no, this is not overanalyzing. This is like Sunday afternoon <laughs> over tea. Uh, and someone no, just brings I mean, up, hey, okay. what do you think those cutie marks mean? Yeah, and I'm like, well, you very, see, sir, <laughs> yes, layers, it's very onions. I'm actually impressed that there is such analysis going on to uh, like try to give these things a little bit more meaning than it appears to be. Because at the core of it, it's still a kid's show and the probably most simple, straightforward answers. What? what? It's not. 
<laughs> yes, it is. The probably straightforward answer is just because the kitty mark must look good so that little kids can identify with it and at least like get an idea uh, of what the character is. I was no? upset with that idea. You know, I'm, no? I'm not sure where uh, where Tommy, um, you know, you started the need to rant, but you know, for me, <laughs> it came it came from a simple a simple source, which is I'm just not happy with uh, what I see and, and what I'm looking at. Like, I did not like the idea of what the cutie mark was um, on the surface as presented to the audience. You know, it's just a thing that you're related with. You know, Applejack is, you know, what what's what's a deal? Oh, it's apples. Why? Because she's got apples on her butt. You know, the whole family's just got <laughs> apples, so it's just apples. What is Applejack? Apples. Uh, no, I'm, not, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with that kind of answer. So you know, exactly like uh, Tommy, what you said. You know, the ideas of family comes up. You know, because why? It's it's three apples. You know, from from the same sort of group. You know, you've got Big Mac, which is the uh, hey, just three apples. You got three family members. You know, I'm just yeah. yeah, yeah, connected. You know, there are layers to this type of thing, and and the idea that. Uh, came up with like my negative view of uh, what the cutie marks are is a, is a concept called uh, nominative uh, determinism, mm-hmm. which which states that uh, it's it's a psychological principle which states that uh, the names that you get in real life affect the kind of person that you grow up to be. Like if you call a girl Betty, she's going to grow up to be a Betty. You know the image of what Betty looks like. If you call a, a woman, you know. Um, like Paris, she's gonna grow up to be a Paris. So this this idea of uh, nominative determinism uh, was what I, I actually thought the concept of the cutie marks were. You know, you get the mark, and suddenly you're condemned, you're locked into that one thing. You know, for the rest of your life because it's it's branded on you. And I was unhappy with that. So you know, turn it around, right? What if it comes from a, a source which which is the physical manifestation of your internal essence, you know, as it were. Okay, very deep, actually. Tommy, are we thinking too much? This is a follow-up <laughs> question. Are we thinking too much about cutie marks? To bring it, to bring it all home, this is, yeah. this is an interesting thing. Um, I have a 15-minute video talking about cutie marks, so I, I, I'm just as guilty as anyone else here talking about <laughs> in an overly dramatic fashion. But... Um, and, one of my favorite things that ever happened in the entirety of the analysis community was something so minute that no one remembers it, but I did. It was right in the beginning when, when we all started to get to know each other. This is before Digi blew up and became like a huge name and everything. He was just starting out. And he had this comment that was brilliant because someone responded to one of his videos and said, you know, like, Jesus Christ, man, calm down. This isn't, you know, this is Pony. It's not Shakespeare. Like, there's nothing here. And he's like, he's like, well, Shakespeare was nothing but just, you know, common, like, you know, entertainment back in its day. And it didn't have any, any quote unquote wealth until we projected it onto there. So it's the same thing here. You know, it's, it's that, yes, from an objective standpoint, like anyone, anyone who's doing analysis on this show is technically overthinking it. Because a lot of the things that you're thinking and saying weren't part of the creative process. However, the interesting thing about media is that there's creative intent and then there's audience perception. There are two different parts to it, right? 
and and if you look at literary analysis just in general as as a field, there are lots of examples of of critics projecting things into the work that they've perceived that weren't supposed to be there, but are still valid observations. You know, so the only you can't you can never really take anything too seriously unless you're telling yourself that you're being too serious. Just because the artist didn't intend for it to be there doesn't mean that it isn't there. You're talking about your how you perceive work, not how you perceive the intention of the work. So there's there's two there's two ways you can look at it. Because when I talk about what a cutie mark is, I'm not saying this is what I think M. A. Larson was writing about. I'm saying this is what I see in what is presented to me. Okay. And there's two different ways of doing it. So yeah, that's, this, that's true. I'll, I will chime in on that. And a a very good just, explanation, uh, actually. Yeah, author, author intent was never uh, the only thing holding back the analysis of any one piece of art, and it spreads to like every type genre of art. Really, uh, you know, author intent is one thing, but you know, you've got you, you get the whole deal of uh, what was his name? Um, we did uh, Waiting for Godot, right? Uh, Samuel Beckett, and there was that whole thing about people trying to analyze his. Uh, you know his his script uh, for his play, waiting for Godot, and they were claiming that you know some of them, some of the characters were meant to be this, and some of them were meant to be that. And in a rebuttal, he he actually said that um, well, one of the mean ones was that if uh, that the character of Godot was supposed to be God, right? And he wrote back saying, if I meant to say God, I would have written God. Mm. But he came out later and actually said, uh, or, or brought it basically to the grave, that uh, basically he could have meant God in the end. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he was a professional troll, really. But uh, in, in the end, he, he was one of the best because he actually you know, recognized the fact that his works don't live merely on the idea of what he wrote. It lives exactly. on the ideas of what everybody sees it, and everybody has a different interpretation of something else. Um, yeah. So, you know, in defense of what Tommy does, <laughs> yeah, what you're, what he is doing is basically a great interpretation based on, you know, um, as you said, his own personal views, uh, based on his life and his his character. His your cutie mark is basically what you're doing right right now. Something I bring to my my commentary and stuff is that because i'm also a creator i can kind of i can see from both angles like the critic and the creator mm-hmm. and you know like when you release something like when i release a new page of my comic or i release a new chapter of a story um whenever anyone releases something you're essentially giving part of it up you know because anyone who holds on to their 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 creation and just like no this is mine this is the way it's supposed to be like you, the only way you can keep that control is if you never share it with anyone. Because it's, it's, and, you know, as soon as you put it out there, you're giving it to the public. And the public can do what they want with it. They can interpret it the way they want. Or they can make derivative works off of it. And they can reinterpret it. They can remix it. And, and you you can't stop that. You know, you can people can try as hard as they want to, like, say, this is my copyright. And you can't make things based on it. You can't do this. You can't do that. But no matter what kind of law or something you put into place, you can't stop people from thinking. And people mm-hmm. are going to think and interpret what you create in whatever way they do. Because, again, going back to the point where, you know, identifying yourself and the way that you interpret anything coming in is based on your own perceptions and your own self. 
you know? So I'm going to perceive something different from you, different from you, and different from you. It's just, just because of this, our, some of our experiences determine how we interpret things. Mm-hmm. So no matter how I present my idea as clean and concisely as I want to, all three of you are going to see something different in it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's something that can't be stopped. It's just because we're just being to think like that. You know, you know, for example, when you said that Rarity was the best pony, I just see nothing but insanity and wrongness. <laughs> wow. Way, way to bring it down. And when you say that, I see an ignorant piece of crap, so it's okay. We're all, all friends here. Don't worry, Tommy. I also look at myself the same way. Everyone is entitled to their opinions, no, no matter how wrong it is. No. Yeah, I'm an ignorant piece of crap, and you can't stop me. No, but right. honestly speaking, okay. honestly speaking, you guys brought up a really interesting conversation, and you explain it in a very sensible and smart way. Just hearing you guys talk made me a bit smarter. But uh, I don't want to segue, but I, I think I have to because if we keep on going this route, um, we won't be highlighting more of your talent, Tommy. And your other talent is <laughs> you like to draw, and you say that you have a divinar site called. Tommy Oliver draws. Yeah, I, so. I'm looking at it right now, and you draw good. Thanks. Yeah, I try. You know, I mean, my my, my number one skill is definitely writing. So I'm like, I'm a writer who struggles to draw, mm. but um, I've I've made some strides as of late. No, so no, no, seriously, um, I'm looking at your well new art, and I I do like the I kind of have a. The picture that you drew of um, that one scene where Rarity and Spike are falling, you redrew that in your own style, and that looks good. Thanks, man. I just, I, I always had this like, really unique art style, I guess. Uh, in college, I kind of developed it. This really kind of cartoony thing. College was an interesting time. Um, that's when I realized that uh, there are things that you want to do and things that you can do. And to not fight what you can do, because that's who you are intrinsically. Because I really wanted to draw uh, in college, like this guy, Greg Capullo. And if you look up, he did a lot of work on uh, the old Spawn comics. See if I can find a good picture of Greg Capullo. And his work is, like, the complete antithesis of how I draw. His stuff is super, super, super hyper-detailed. And, like, it's still very cartoonish, but um, just, like overly saturated with like superfluous details so like this is a great example of greg capullo's work and like i wanted to draw like this in college and it's just like it's not me at all i can't sit there and do that so i was struggling to try and be that in college and i couldn't so i had to like say okay well what what am i about like i'm about minimalism and simplicity and i took a lot of inspiration from my youth like uh stuff like bruce tim who did the uh, the Batman animated series and <laughs> the Superman cool. animated series. And so I added a lot of that. And then when I started drawing Pony, initially I drew just like Warren Faust did. Like, uh, Sister Who Slighted, my first Pony project, was, like, as close to the show as I could with my skills at the time. Because before, I never really worked in Flash. Um, but I just started integrating my normal art style into Pony, and it just kind of came out like that. So, see, uh, From what I can tell and from what I see... It's a very unique style, and it's to say that you have your own trademark. And whenever people see this pony, they're going to say it's your work. Yeah, and that's something I think part of me really wants, even though it wasn't my initial goal. I think now that it's there, it's something I appreciate, is that like 
there are a lot of people like because again even with Greg Capullo you look at Greg Capullo's work and it does look very much like Western uh, you know superhero style and that's not something you could line up with a bunch of other people and intrinsically notice unless you like knew his work beforehand and could tell whereas you know you put my work up with a bunch of other people's stuff and it has a visual flair that even even if you don't know the name you know you can put two of those pieces among other a bunch of others it's like those two are by the same person mm. so it's like a signature without having to sign it and that's something i always kind of like indeed so how do you draw your pictures like what program do you use and how was the process like this is something that is constantly changing um I'm I'm really obsessed I mean, obviously you can tell from the drawing style I'm really obsessed with um with the line like this the concept of a line is is really oddly intriguing to me um if a picture has really clear bold lines like it's almost like and this is going to sound disturbing and I'm sorry but like it's like I said I'm an open book I'm just going to tell you like it's almost like sexual excitement from like a really crisp line art and I that must mean I'm I'm just artistically inclined but like when there's like a really clean like outline to something that's like really bold and like defined and like it's 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 really like interesting to me and um I I don't know that's it's something I obsess over is trying to get these really clean lines you in my work. I really love the Powerpuff Girls. Dude, like that's that's the kind of style that I get behind, you know? Like that's yeah. just like, awesome. You can no, you can see, you can see. Like you've got you've got the whole uh, you know, you've got like really bold and uh, thick lines accented, you know, where where it really should be. And your eyes are I think your eyes and your ears, the way you do them is the uh, basically that's the signature right there. That's mm-hmm. the striking point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that started pick, there's a that out from Miles, there's weird. a picture in my gallery called Fur Experiment Number Two, and um, that's when that that started. Is I wanted to have a slightly different visual uh, cues for each race of pony because I wanted to kind of they're fluffy, and there's a lot of times that you forget that, you know, like because a lot of the times you'll see like those like sensual pony drawings and stuff, and uh, they they have like this like glint. It's like they almost look like they're oily. I'm like, yo, they got fur. That doesn't work like that. And that like, pissed me off. It's like I wanted to like represent that they they were they were they had like fur and like were like fluffy and stuff like that. So that's where that idea came from. And it's kind of you can tell like it's gotten more defined over time. Like now like in the first drawing, like the little spikes on the ears are really tiny. But then you go look at like that Scoodaloo picture and they're massive. So it's 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 evolved. And even like the programs I use, I started with Photoshop. Um, and I still use Photoshop a lot for like posts and stuff. But the lines in Photoshop, there's no smoothing option on it. So they're they're very much at the mercy of your hand. And my hand is naturally very shaky. So my lines would never be clean. And that pissed me off all throughout college. So then um, I found... I always, because I've been chasing this idea of the perfect line for years, years, okay? Like, in high school, I was like, oh, like, there's just some people who have these super clean lines, and, like, I love it, and I want it, and I have to have it, and I don't know how, and I try and try and try and try, I couldn't get there, and then figured out it wasn't my fault, because people were doing vectoring, and I didn't know what vectoring was, and somehow, even through four years of, four years of college, no one no one clued me into this because uh, my college sucked like horribly. I'm still I'm still self-taught. People say you're self-taught, and I'll say yes. But I went to four years art school, so I didn't learn a thing. Um, so vectors is when you draw with a pen tool, and instead of drawing lines, you make points, and you drag the points, and and it creates a shape. So when you look at like the pages of, from the Trixie book, those are all drawn like point by point, and then curved instead of using like a brush. 
And so that's that's where that clean light art came from that I've loved forever, and I just didn't know. And I was like, holy crap, this is awesome. So I finally kind of started getting that look when I started doing the Trixie book because I, I figured out that technique. And I learned that not from school, but from watching a video online called Vectoring is Magic. So once again, Pony... Pony succeeded where four years of college failed. <laughs> oh, goodness. This, this concept. Well so, done, so that's when I learned that. And as of recently, I have a new program I'm using now called Art Rage. Ooh. And Art Rage is, uh, it has a really nice smoothing option to the brush where you can get that crisp vector look without having to sit there and click and drag and click and drag. You can do it with, like, with one stroke. So it's sped up my workflow a lot. So I'm working on my second issue of Trixie now, and I'm just like, powering through it like so much quicker because a page would take probably like five to six hours to, to to vector out right i can do these ones now in probably 30 to 40 minutes wow. just to put it in perspective how much time it's saving me because that Trixie book took forever forever and it was just painful um the other tool that i use a lot and you can see it um in the everfree forest is uh i use blender which uh-huh. is a 3d application and I'm starting to integrate some 3D stuff into my environments because I hate drawing backgrounds. Piss me off. I'm like, I don't care about the backgrounds. I want to see what the characters are doing. So I'll draw the characters and I'll be like, and then this is one line that's in the background. There, done. Um, so, but what I am interested in for some reasons is I like, I like building environments, like, like in like three dimensional space. So instead of drawing backgrounds to panels, what I'm trying to do with this book, and it's going to take a lot longer, but I'm having fun, so I don't care is that I'm using a combination of 2D drawings and 3D objects to create environments in, like, this virtual space and then place the characters in there. So I have these, like, all those trees, the ones with the leaves are drawings. I did those in Photoshop. And then what you do is you put, like, a a plane, which is, like, just a, a square, and you map the drawing onto the square, and then you make it transparent. So there's a... In the 3D scene, there's a bunch of squares sitting in that field. But... Because it makes the plane transparent, it shows the drawing. They look like trees, and I have the trees mapped. So no matter what, where you rotate the camera, they like rotate and follow the camera, so they don't look flat ever. And then the 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 trees without any leaves are actual three D objects, so you can rotate around them and like zoom in on them. And those are like actually so you, like you actually have a set to work with. Yeah, and I'm gonna do that for all the backgrounds. So I have the majority of the Trixie comics taking place in the small village. Um, so I'm going to model the entire village. There's like a big inn, there's a schoolhouse, there's a couple smaller buildings, like a well in the middle of town. There's some trees and like that are flanking the town. So I'm going to model all of that. I'm going to have this big set. And then I'm going to model like the interiors of some of the buildings, so like the inside of the inn, because one of the main characters in the book is going to be an innkeeper and she's going to like be friends with Trixie and stuff. And then there's like these two unicorn Philly twins that are, she's going to like take under her wing and be her apprentices. There's a lot of characters and stuff and they all take place in a small village. So starting probably tomorrow, I'm going to start modeling that and making that. And so, like, I'm integrating a lot of different techniques into this book because I'm eclectic and weird like that. So, okay. uh, hang on cons- a moment. Hang on a moment. Uh, you said that you use Photoshop, but are you saying that all of it is done in Photoshop, or is there a combination of uh, other other elements used to create this? Um, which one, the Everfree Forest thing, or just in general? In general. Most of the Trixie, the first issue of Trixie was all done in Photoshop. So there's a pen tool in Photoshop, so you can vector in Photoshop as well. And then the backgrounds were all done with a a custom brush that I made based off of this tutorial online about how to create a watercolor effect in Photoshop. So you Mm -hmm. can make custom brushes to kind of give you that kind of uh, textured effect. Because I get get the feeling it looks like there's some traditional element involved as well. I mean, 
or is it just all digital brush effects? Um, everything, everything in Trixie is the Trixie book is all digital. Oh, okay. Um, so the only thing that was technically traditional is that I still pencil traditionally, but I'll ink it on the mm. computer. So basically, like what uh, modern day cartoonists do. Essentially, I mean, a lot of people will sketch on a on on the computer as well. Like I just got a Surface Pro, which is like a, a portable tablet computer, so you can draw right on the screen. So the last page of Trixie, I just did page five of issue two. I did completely from start to finish digitally. I didn't even like bust out paper at all. That was super fast. I did that entire page in one day, which is like unheard of. I did the whole thing start to finish in like three hours. But um, all all of the drawings from page one or like issue one were all originally done on paper, and then I traced over them with the the pen tool and made them vectors. Uh, and the I fun see. thing is that I'm like claustrophobic. I don't like being in enclosed spaces. And this carries over to my drawing. I don't like drawing in panels. I get claustrophobic. So I'm just like working into the little barriers. I'm like, no, no, I can't do this. So each one of these each one of these drawings is a separate page. So each drawing is its own page, and then I'll scan all the pages in and then crop them onto the canvas in Photoshop and then ink them. Oh. So I have like a I have like a folder full of like four hundred pages of artwork from this one book. Oh my. And it's like Super labor intensive because I don't have like a scanner that like sucks in the pages and scans them. I got to like open it up, <laughs> put the page in, scan it, open it up, put the next one in, scan it. I'm like, ugh. So when yeah. I did this this one page all on my Surface Pro like yesterday, I was like, oh my god, it's so fast. This is amazing. See, it's yeah. a labor of love thing, you know. Each 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 individual uh, page is a work of art on its own. So that's why at the end product it looks looks it gives that striking, well made, professional look at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, I try, I mean, I, I hold myself up to unrealistically high standards. So I look at my book, I'm like, it needs to look like, like it came from Marvel or something. It needs to look like super professional. And then, like, you look at, like, independent illustrators and they're doing, like, black and white books, like, made at, like, you know, on a fucking Xerox thing. But I'm just like, no, no, it's got to look professional. It's got to look super pro. So I'm just, I, I'm my own worst critic. It's like, but that line doesn't look right. The perspective's wrong. Aren't we all? I'm trying to teach myself right now. And it's better to have something done than perfect, because that's my Achilles' heel. Is I used before I got into Pony, I had this comic book called The New Reaper that I wanted to do. And it's about this ten-year-old kid who ended up becoming the Grim Reaper. It was an examination of the ethical repercussions of having an innocent youth exposed to the worst mankind has to offer. So he would like see like these horrible, gruesome murders, but he was ten years old and stuff, and like how that would affect the young innocent psyche. So like innocence, innocence being shattered by. By the darkest corners of humanity. I was very dark back in the day. You, I'm not. I'm not the person you'd expect to watch my little phone. <laughs> but um, I redid the first chapter of that book. I think six times because I kept wanting it to be perfect, and I never got it done. So now I'm just like, you know, I want to go back and I want to change all the captions in issue one because people are just like, there's too many words, um, and there is because originally the, it was going to be a picture book, not a comic book. Um, so I had a lot more words in it, and I just kind of kept all the words. And then, like, there's like, the first page has like a bazillion words on it. And people are like, there's too many words. I'm like, I should go get rid of them. I'm like, you know what? No, it's in the past. It's done. It's moving on. I'm not going to go back and redo it and change all the words. I'm just going to, you know, a wise man once said, "Don't do it better. Do it better the next time." So true. I'll do it better in issue two, and just that's done. It's done. It's in the past. I'm not worried about it anymore. All right. So that's that's the thing I'm struggling with right now is like letting go of perfection because. It's never going to be perfect, but it can be done. That's true. No one can do anything perfect. 
um, perfect is what you think of it. Exactly. Why haven't you uh, tried out uh, digital uh, sketching like from the get-go? Are you more comfortable with uh, traditional media of like actually feeling a pencil on paper when you sketch? Here's, I got my Wacom tablet, and yeah. I've drawn on it before. The problem for me is that, A, it doesn't feel like paper. It's very, like, it's a smooth, slick surface, whereas... Mm-hmm. My, my line art, my, my sketching, like, I'm very much slow and methodical, so I really rely on the give of, of paper and, like, the resistance of it. And also, because of the, the Wacom being disconnected from the screen, like, you're drawing down here, but you're looking up there, I, I find that I, I lose a bit, of, a bit of control. However, like I said, I got my Surface Pro now, which is, like, a drawing tablet, so you draw directly on the screen. And I'm finding that a lot of the control comes back from doing that because you're drawing right on the screen as opposed to that's, drawing... That's a Microsoft one, right? Microsoft Surface, right? Yeah. So oh, that's cool. Yeah. I've seen that it. thing actually that's... is working pretty well. So like I said, the last page of Trixie I did, I did completely start to finish on the Surface, and it worked. And it worked pretty well. So depending on whether I can keep up with that, I might. So Tommy, have you ever thought about getting yourself a Intuos tablet, um, Wacom Intuos, with the screen on the tablet itself. Oh man, those are like thousands of dollars. Yeah, man. yeah they're the uh, the Wacom Cintiq. They got, yeah, Cintiq. Yeah. There's the the 13 that just came out, and then there's the the, uh, the 22 like inch. Four thousand bucks because they, the the 13 inch is one thousand, and then the 22 inch starts at twenty five hundred. Oh my. Um, oh yeah, twenty five hundred US, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yeah. a uh, there's a tablet made by a small company called Yanova. Oh. And they have, um, it's called the the NSP 22HDU, and that is a 22-inch 1080p tablet monitor, and it's basically the same as the $2,500 Wacom, but it's only 800 So I'm kind of thinking if I can swing it to get that, because right now, like, I'm using, like, a 37-inch TV as my monitor, <laughs> so my screen's really big right now, but I would take the hit on screen size if I can get, like, the tablet, like, right there. Because that would be awesome. Because it's like the new one just came out. It's like an IPS display. So the colors are really nice. And it's like good viewing angles. And it's got like apparently the, it's using a UC Logic digitizer, which is just as good as a Wacom one. So it's got like 2,000 levels of pressure sensitivity. And I'm just sitting there just like, oh, my God. I want it so bad. But it's so expensive. What do I do? Wow. So. Is it, um, from looking at your videos when the intro says um, technology and um, stuff, uh, it's true. What you, you're describing is it's true. Dude, I can talk technology like you don't even know. Like, I religiously visit Engadget. Like, you know, like, my big my big thing are laptops or computers and smartphones. Like, I can talk about phones all day. All day. My. I wish that was you. The Nexus 5 came out. It's got a 1080p screen with a 441 PPI, and that's nice. And the Strapdragon 800 is really fast, quad-core processor, and it's got like, a motion co-processor, and it's got, you know... Two gigabytes of RAM, but the iPhone 5S is, you know, technically faster, but it's probably because it's running a much lower screen. The Retina screen is only 1160 by, by, 9, by 940, so it's got, like, a lower resolution, so it can run better spec because it's pushing less pixels, but also has a lesser pixel density of 326 PPI as opposed to 441. But considering the human retina stops discerning pixels at 300 PPI, it doesn't really matter. So I don't really understand why people are putting 1080p and 4K panel on a sub-5-inch screen because it doesn't really matter because you can't tell the difference. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, I, I send messages by Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well oh, okay. I, mean, I, I do wish one of my co-hosts is here because he can geek out technology with you. But, um, Kitsune, you were going to ask, tell me something? 
Oh, no, no, no. Uh, this is probably just unrelated to the show, but um, I used to have a lot of friends in uh, art school back in the day. And, you know, the funny thing is that one of the complaints you had with the Wacom, you know, feeling smooth and, and shit like that, right? Uh, they would actually put a piece of paper on the Wacom <laughs> tablet. I've done and, that, and it works. Yeah. <laughs> it works amazingly it, well. You lose right. a little bit of pressure sensitivity, but it feels like paper. And I've actually, like, there's, like, marks on the side of my tablet from, like, where I've taped it down. It's just, like, permanently <laughs> discolored now. Because I, I, I'll I put a piece That's of bristle down on there, and it feels nice. But, um, yeah. I've I've tried my, my ghetto workarounds, and <laughs> unfortunately, just, it's it's close, but not quite. And the, the, the tablet computer is the best I've gotten so far. So, nice, yeah. I don't know. I actually, I actually find that a little bit more difficult. That's the funny thing. Like, I've been using my uh, Intuos. I think it's yeah, it's two like for years and years and years and years, and I got used to like not looking where I draw to the point that when I look where I'm drawing, it comes up bad. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like the total opposite of you in terms of art. Like, if if you've ever seen anything I do, like everything's really messy, and I have like that you know that chaos. Uh, kind of like sketchy style do everything I like I like lines that fly all over the place well to the world so we, we are now we are now mortal enemies <laughs> alright I guess we'll have to throw down one day what have I done yeah, we, we're gonna have you'll to come at me with a bunch of like a flurry of like really quick blows and I'll just like stand there and just wait and I'll just like slash like one nice clean stroke <laughs> Like, that's how we'll fight. <laughs> you guys want to know that something funny here? Awesome. You guys want to know something funny here? Always. Kitsune here is also a fanfic writer and also a good artist, but he doesn't really promote his art. He just promotes his writing. You, Tommy, you you are a good artist, a writer, and a YouTube producer, and you promote your stuff all over the place. And pairing you two up, total opposite. It's funny, because I, I try not... I, I'm actually, like, really awkward when it comes to promoting my stuff. Like, I can talk way more about it. I could, like, throw it up, like, on the end of all my YouTube videos. But, like, people are here to watch videos, not to, like, read my fanfic. But that's okay. It's funny, because, like, I, again, I identify as a creator, not, a, like, a, like, a critique person. But, like, that's what I'm it, known for. So it does come hand just, in like, hand, though, you know? Like, the thing I always hate produce stuff. is when, like, people are like, who drew your OC? I'm just like, oh... Okay, I did. Nobody knows. Nobody knows I draw things. Well, you, you do promote your stuff at the end of the videos with annotations, and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of the things that not many people do is write fanfics, and you do. It's relatively new. I didn't. I didn't know I liked writing until I got into Pony and stuff. I mean, I knew I liked writing stories, but like as far as writing prose and stuff, mm-hmm. that's that's uh-huh. new for me. So I, I do notice that. All of your fix are on hiatus, and well, that that's uh, that's too bad because I would really love to read something that's ongoing or completed. But eh. yeah, well, I mean, what what you mean to me is essentially complete. The last chapter is just an epilogue. Well, kind of an epilogue. There, it'd, it'd be like one more chapter, and like really cements the deal and finishes up the story. But as far as like the big events, like chapter five was the last of it. And again, that story. My problem with with narratives in general is that they, they like, get too big too quickly. Like, what you mean to me was supposed to be a 10,000-page one-shot that I did in a day. <laughs> now it's going to be 60,000 words when it's done. Oh, my. And it's taken, like, five months or more. Th- I started just... it in, like, June. Huh. So, and, like, Trixie, Tr- Trixie, the Trixie Redemption story was supposed to be 
one 50-page book, and now it's going to be 10 30-page comics, oh. which will probably take me about five years. Mm. So, well, The fandom will be dead. No one will be reading it. And I'll be like, it's done. I can move on with my life. I'll read it. No, but seriously, uh, your thing with what you mean to me, it's running at 46,000 words, 46 plus thousand words, and it's not done yet. And, well, you said it's done, but on hiatus, if it's not complete, I'm not going to consider it done. But still, why aren't you writing, man? Like, I know that you said you consider yourself to be a good writer also, but how do you get the stories? What do you, what inspired you to do all this? Well, I don't know. I'm just, like I said, like, that's, that's, that's my cutie mark. You know, I really love storytelling. Like, that's why my book, my, my cutie mark on my OC is like a book and a paintbrush. Cause like, I'm very much a visual storyteller. That's my bread and butter. Like that's that's just what I've always been. Mm. And I have a huge like I have a pre-production folder oh. on my on my computer. It's full full of ideas going back like ten years. You know, mm. I have like this the story I was working on before I got into ponies. So I was going to use this huge massive universe, like a post-apocalyptic thing on a different planet where like the the continents were no longer inhabitable because of like yeah this um, biological weapons. So like there's three races of people. Um, there's a race that lives on boats in the ocean, these giant city ships. There's people who live underground, and then there are like these like nomadic people who still lived on the continents. And they're like get they wrecked with disease and they die between before they turn forty years old. And they're super religious and they feel like that God's gonna come and save them once they prove themselves worthy. And there's like these different like kind of uh, I had gotten down to the point where like I had different phonetic structures for all the races' names. Oh like, it was really in depth like world building I was doing on this story. And I have a bunch of stuff like that and I don't know, like I just I really like narrative and like the reason I harp on about so much and talk about characterization and things like that in my videos is because like it's important to me. Oh. And like when I when I do my stories that's a big deal. And like even with Trixie, you know, like Trixie is gonna have a, a huge backstory, like why she is who she is. Like each each issue is going to start with a, a kind of like a dream sequence that explains her past a bit more and she's going to have a family and a backstory and dreams and ambitions mm. and strengths and weaknesses and, and emotional baggage and things like that and it's just, it's, I, I, those are the things I really resonate with in characterization but then sometimes I get really stupid ideas and like what you mean to me started as a really stupid idea you know because uh, I'd read a, I don't know if, if you guys read much like fiction on conviction but there's this guy Darth this guy Darf, and he just writes like horrible like plot fictions just for fun, and they're like they're like really mm. they're like tongue in cheek supposed to be like ridiculous on purpose. All right. And and he wrote this one about like Scootaloo <laughs> and like going out with like this like older guy and this kid's like a super pervert and like totally taking advantage of her. And I just like didn't expect it to be as horrible as it was. And like this is like really disturbing. And then of course my inspiration is like you could do this story with heart. Like, I guess I could. So that's where What You Meets Me came from. So, Kitsu, um, have you seen the page? Or do you want me to link it? Oh, I've been I've been actually uh, poking around um, Tommy's jaws <laughs> throughout the entire conversation, really. Like, uh, all the links are there in the show notes. Yeah. So, as always, if anyone else is curious, you can just get down to the show notes and pick up all the links and my oh my there are a lot aren't there indeed indeed so yeah i've i've been i've been just uh, prodding all your pictures in the uh divinant gallery so far and uh checking out a couple of your stories there yeah, yeah. and well that he's been promoting what you mean to me
And it's five chapters and it's almost done. So, yeah, why not? Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, gonna be hopefully there I'll soon. get around to finishing it. I started writing the last chapter, but it's just like one of those things where I'm just like, ah, I'm not really feeling it. You know, I can't, can't force those things, yeah, unfortunately. True, 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 true. Hey, Tommy, welcome to the world of the writer, man. It's just eternally putting stuff off and dealing with it because I just, I just don't feel it right now, you know. But yeah, that, that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Think about the videos. The videos are remarkably easier to like uh, get momentum on. Would you say? Yeah, like think... uh, like you do a lot of stuff. You do you know you do the art. You do the videos. You do the writing. Which one would you say is your preferred method of delivering a story? What do you think? Oh, I definitely. I mean, comics are the most difficult, but they're definitely the most rewarding. I think, and I, it's it's also it's like a, a double-edged sword because they're the medium that I have the most investment in. But because of that, I'm also the most critical. Mm-hmm. So, like, I wrote my first chapter of What You Mean to Me, and I looked at it with pride. I was like, this is like really good. Like, I've always thought of I had good word choice and stuff, and like I really like like this is my my strong suit. And, like, this is really good. I love it. You know, even though it's like good but not fantastic. I look at you know the first issue of Trixie, which a lot of people like, and it got featured on EQD and stuff. I'm like, this is such... That's not a word! Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> like, I was looking at it yesterday, because I was, like, going back and trying to fix those text bubbles and stuff, because, again, I'm, like, a perfectionist. I'm like, this art is so gross. Oh, my God, the first pages are so atrocious. How did I make this? I made this. These hands, they've betrayed me. You know, and just, like, I just, I just, I beat myself up over this stuff. So you, my, my art only has a shelf life of, like, a month or two before I just hate it. <laughs> and... <laughs> It's really bad. It's it's a self-destructive attitude, but you know. Well, if you want to be a perfectionist, it's it's on it's unf- it's something I'm trying to get over. You know, it's rough because again, like I had I had a bunch of stories and I've never finished them because I'm such a perfectionist. And I keep doing it over and over again. I'm like, you know what? I'd rather have, I'd rather have like ten books in my hands saying they're not perfect, but I got these ten books. I suppose being like someday I'll have the perfect comic. It'll blow everyone's mind. It'll be fantastic. But that'll never happen because, you know. The interesting thing, too, is, like, again, again, I'm all about self and how I interpret things. Mm-hmm. Um, back in high school, I looked at this guy, Bleedman, and he's, like, a really weird dude. But I didn't know that back then. <laughs> um, and he drew really well. And I was like, man, if I could ever be, like, a tenth as good as that guy, I'd be satisfied. And now I'm, like, there. I'm, like, not as good as him. But I'm, like, within striking distance now, I would say. I'm getting there. Uh, he definitely does more detailed work than me. But in terms of, like, raw presentation, I'm, like, a lot closer than I ever was in high school. In high school, I was atrocious. Um, and you know, like if, if, if high school me looked at college or like present day me work, that's what I've been like, if I would be there, I've been satisfied. <laughs> now I'm there and I'm like, that's not a word. Sucks. So like it's, it's the bar just keeps moving. Like every step obviously. I make the bar moves. Honestly, so obviously. I'm never going to get there. So it's just like chasing this is just an exercise in impossibility. So Need that's to get why they call. That's why they call artists tortured, man. Because you know it's it's we're like we're stupid. We're the dumbest <laughs> people. We're, no, we're we're dumbest. That's not a word. Okay, it's just like you know you know what we're doing. We're running a race, right? With with the hurdles, and all we're doing is just kicking the hurdles just a little bit further in front of us. It's like, like why can't we jump over? Them? You know those dog races when they're like racing after the rabbit. Mm-hmm. You're never gonna get yeah. the rabbit. It's designed so you can't get it, but they think they're going to, but you can't do it. You know you what? Know? This reminds me of what. Um, George Lucas is doing with his Star Wars movies. That's it. Why, why are you bringing up George Lucas? So, why, okay, why the hell true. are you bringing up? It's it totally true. Because he'll look at Star Wars and be like, "That needs more CGI." That's not a 
word? And then you know what? It gets so convoluted, it sucks. And that's going to be me. You're going to go back and <laughs> The guy doesn't know what he wants. That's the thing. At least you have a, a, a vision for the future, right? I mean, you go like, okay, I want to be better. I want to be there. You know where your bar is. George Lucas is sitting in a room scratching himself going, I'm just going to do this change and, and hope that people will like it. And you know what? In the next DVD release, I'm just going to change it back because everyone's going to complain. Oh, well, I'll just sell Star Wars to Disney. That's all right. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> You brought up George Lucas. No, okay. but it was a nice analogy because how you guys were saying, oh, uh, it's not perfect. I want to make it perfect. Like, George Lucas thinks um, Star Wars was not perfect. Uh, the rest of the world thinks it's perfect. Star Wars was perfect. He, he made it stupid <laughs> with things. Okay, and that's the whole thing. It's about letting letting things lie. It's like that's in the past. Mm. You know? Don't yeah. don't make that better. Do it better next time. Mm. You, know, you know what? And, and you know, talking about that, right? Who's to say that it's not already better? Like, you know, maybe a person reading it is going to interpret it in a way that it's already really good. But what you're doing is just finding, you know, uh, consequential flaws that eventually ruin the thing as a whole, Mm -hmm. you know, gestalt, simply because, you know, you're you're picking on the tiny things. Yeah, you know, let stuff go. But that's the hardest thing to do for an artist, isn't that? It is, yeah. No, because you're you're always judging yourself, like, way too harshly. So. Yeah, we should we should be nicer to ourselves. <laughs> mm. Yes, that is that is that is true. That is true. But right, you know what? F- after this is done, I'm gonna go get myself a pack of Oreos and you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that is your button, you want, right? You want to go for an Oreo run? Sure. You know, sure. Why not? I'll, I'll buy you a big gulp. Oh, sure. <laughs> no, but um, interesting enough when you sit promotion and videos, uh, you post your videos on YouTube, right? Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, also on Bleep TV. Yes. With the new thing that YouTube is doing, how has that affected you? Well, what, you mean like ruining everything? <laughs> yes. The slow yes. and like pained demise of YouTube that we've been experiencing for the last like year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's been a blessing and a curse, believe it or not. Because initially I was like, all right, I want... What's, what's my end goal? Like, you know, like, long-term, like, what do I want to do? Like, why why am I doing all... Like, where do I see myself, like, being happy, right? And that's that's always the question, isn't it? And, like, I know that if I ever have to, like... If I'm never at a place where I can't have, like, a day job or don't need a day job, I'm going to go insane. Like, if I have to sit in front of a cube for the next 40 years and, like, do, like, real work, like, forget it. Forget it. Like, I'm using that paycheck, I'm buying a gun, and, like, we're done. <laughs> You know, like, I'm sorry, like, that's not happening. Like, I can't survive like that. I did that for a summer and like, it was bad. Um, so I know that, like, I know what I want to do. And this, this is something I definitely appreciate is that I understand myself enough to know what I want to do in order to make myself content. Maybe not super happy, but content, you know, like I can do that, you know? And, and for me, that's, that's, that's telling stories, it's telling stories and being on YouTube and like just abusing the internet for my own benefit, right? So that's what I can do. Okay. So I know that I can do that. So my goal, my end goal is to make it so I don't need a day job. And so obviously YouTube ad revenue, right? That's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. So I got YouTube, I'll go place some ads on it, I'll get a million dollars, I'll be super famous and rich, and I'll get my plaque and everything will be happy. Because you know, if you get a million subscribers, I send you a gold plaque. Did you know that? Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know this until Jack's Blade told me, and now I'm forever cursed because I know I will never have a million subscribers, and it's pissing me off. Jack's Blade has a million subscribers, really? 
No, he doesn't. Oh. But he knows. There, there are people who have been subscribers like, YouTube just sent me the plaque. And it's like this big golden play button that they send you. It's like, congratulations on a million subscribers. I'm just like, that is pretty it. sick. Mm-hmm. I want oh, it. I want, just I'm, not even on, I'm not even on YouTube and I want one now. <laughs> it pissed me off. But I found out recently that they just added a silver plaque to get 100,000 subscribers. I'm like, that's stupid. Ah, that's that is cool. my goal. I want the silver plaque. Okay. So I'm 35% there. Yeah, I, need yeah. it. I just need it. So, I mean, YouTube has made a lot of changes as of late. And yeah. the first one that really hit home was that, oh, well, we're, we're going to start taking down your videos and, like, we can't, you can't monetize them. It's like, despite the fact that they're technically fair use, the reason the U.S. copyright laws are messed up and, it, like, you, you have to have proof and the burden of proof's on you and you have to get in contact with, you know, the corporation that owns the product. And if you can't do that, we're not going to let you do anything. There's no way to fight it. It's very one-sided. So... I got some videos, like, not taken down, but monetization was blocked because of copyrighted content. So I couldn't monetize my videos, uh, especially when I got fired, and that was my only income. So that was unfortunate, but it led me to Patreon, which has, like, been my saving grace. It's the only reason I'm not out on the streets right now. Um, so Patreon lets lets you um, lets people become patrons, and they donate based on each video you release a certain amount. And based on their donations, you give them, like, rewards. Like, you know, for my words, like, drawings and stuff. And, like, I have some videos I have to make specifically for people who donate a large amount. Like, donate this much, and I'll make this video on whatever topic you want. So someone wanted me to talk about this one fan fiction that I have to read. Someone else is like, yo, you should talk about the Green Lantern animated series. I want to do a video on that because, like, they're paying me to do it. And it's cool. It's, like, a, it's a great way to, like, get to know people. Uh, like, you're, like, really hardcore fans, because if you're going to give me money, obviously you like my stuff. So it's a great way to talk to people that, like, really believe in your work, which is always nice to have people who believe in your work have that. Mm. Um, but also, like, I'm making, like, a decent amount of money off of that now. It's, like, more than I ever would have based on YouTube ad revenue. So that was a good thing. Mm. The bad thing is that I now have a strike on my account. Oh my. I don't know if you guys know how the strike system works. And yeah, that's because I put a... Yeah, I put up a video on Kill la Kill, Ooh. which is an anime currently entering in Japan. Mm-hmm. And apparently I made the grievous error of having about 10 seconds of Intro. footage in the beginning uh, of the show with audio. Because the whole thing is like Kill a Kill is like this really weird spectacle of an anime where it's just like all flash and no substance. It's just like ridiculous animation for 22 minutes, like repeat over and over again mm-hmm. with very little plot. And so I just had a scene at the beginning that was just like ridiculously over the top. And then my guy was just like, oh, God, here we go. And Sony Music flagged me and pulled the video, put a strike on my account. So I can't post unlisted videos. I can't post videos longer than 15 minutes. And I can't monetize my videos. And they they pulled a bunch of features on my account, and I can't fight it. It doesn't get removed until six months from now. So not until next May can I I post videos like that. The video that you were doing, was it promotional? Like telling people to go watch it? It was just a review. It was it was co- our commentary. So it was technically so what, fair use. On, on what grounds did they decide to say that? Oh, you, you're doing something bad and horrible. Because uh, I use if you're giving them free promotion, they're, they're not. Well, the problem is they don't care. It's it's a, it's an automated system, mm. uh-huh. and um, it was it was like copyrighted audio because I had like three seconds of a Japanese voice actor going. <laughs> and it's like, that's our property. You can't use it. Uh. So unfortunately, they took it down. Um, which is why the Question Girls video is going to be in three parts and not just one long 50-minute, like, complete okay. live. But, um, so that happened. And then, obviously, the YouTube comment system is a mess right now. Oh, yeah, that is true. So, there's a lot of things. And, I mean, the reason I post my stuff on Blip is because 
I don't keep a backlog, like a local copy of my videos. I should, but I don't. And the thing is, is like, I got a strike from Sony. And I haven't gotten hit by Shout Factory yet. And Shout Factory is still going around and like messing up with people's videos. The problem is, if you get another strike on your account, they'll delete your channel. Oh. And then all your videos are gone. I'm like, well, if my channel gets deleted and all my videos are gone, I'm pretty sure I'll just go kill myself. <laughs> so I'm going to make a backup of my channel on Blip so when they like pull the plug on it or if they decide to and I lose my channel, like at least all my work for the last year and a half isn't gone. And since Blip doesn't care about about critique and commentary like that and they're not going to pull it like i don't I'm not worried about that being deleted because like that's where nostalgia critic and red letter media host all their stuff mm-hmm. so if they can get billions and billions of views and not get deleted i'm pretty sure my little power horse videos are going to be okay so i mean i also have a wordpress blog that i host all that on uh tommy oliver blogs.wordpress.com and it's kind of like an aggregation of like all my stuff in one place so i have like links to my comics links to my stories links to all the videos it's all organized by category like a menu so I don't know. It's kind of nice. But I don't talk. Mm. Uh, because uh, Patre- Patreon? Is this how you say it? Yeah. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Yeah, Patreon. I, I like the system here because it gives um, your fans or your followers uh, avenue to support you because, like, give $1 or give more to Tommy Oliver per video and become a Patreon. And you have 77 and you're getting 502.60 cents per video. And that is awesome because you can tell who's your fan. Yeah, and like the thing, the cool thing about it too is that like it's you can set monthly limits. So, like if you if I release like 500 videos in a month, like you're not going to go broke. Mm-hmm. So like the number the number usually breaks out. It usually has like a 50% level of degradation. So the first video I'll get like 500, the second video I'll get 250, then 125, then like nothing. So usually it degrades like that. So it's not like you're making like a bazillion dollars every video, but it's, it's, it's a nice cushion. And like, I'm paying for my student loans with that right now because I still don't have a job. Mm. You know, I got fired in June and I still haven't gotten a job, but Patreon's paying the bills. So it's at least, it's keeping me afloat while I'm trying to find something because, you know, the job market sucks. Oh, true, true, true. And with the X-Bone coming soon and the PS4 coming soon, people are, yeah, no. Yeah. Norman, you're treading another very thin line by bringing up the Xbox. On this show. No, okay, here's the thing. The Xbox One is going to be the Killer Instinct box. That's about it. No, 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 no. You're just, you're just, you're just mentioning very dangerous stuff. You, you know, you bring up George Lucas and now you're bringing up the X-Bone. Yeah. X-Bone. What are you trying to do, Norman? All what right, are you trying bone. to do? Oh. X-Bone. Okay. I'm just going to drop that like a... That's not a word! <laughs> but anyway, um, good on you, Tommy, because if I haven't stumbled across your videos, I would have not known about Patreon. How did you find out about this? People were telling me about it in the comments because I was just like, the whole reason I decided to use Patreon was because it was unobtrusive. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to go, because I was originally going to move over to Blip and I lost 500 subscribers in a week oh. and I said I was moving to Blip because nobody wanted to, you know, nobody's like, if you're using Blip, I'm not following you anymore. I'm like, oh, okay. So I lost 500 subscribers just from saying I might go to Blip. And people didn't want to go to Blip because it was abrasive. 40% of my traffic is on mobile devices, Mm. and Blip doesn't work very well on mobile devices, so that was bad. And then I didn't want to use ads on YouTube if I couldn't because, again, like, advertisements are obnoxious, you know? Mm -hmm. So Patreon is a great way that, like, okay, you can help if you want to. You're not required to. There are no ads, so no one has to sit through ads anymore because I don't need advertisements. I'm getting funded by other people instead. And I can give back to the people who are helping me out as opposed to everyone just having to sit through advertisement nobody likes. 
Like it's a direct line from people who want to contribute to help me out. And, and it's, it's fostering a community that way. So it was like a win, win, win. There was like nothing bad about it. And the reason I found out about Patreon is people were suggesting it to me because I was just like, well, guys, I don't know if I should move to Blip or I can't monetize my videos on here. And people are like, we should check out Patreon. It's like a good site. I know people are using it. Like uh, Smooth and Groove uses Patreon. Mm-hmm. So, like, there are big YouTubers using it. So I was like, oh, okay, check it out. So I never would have known about it if it wasn't for for my, my audience telling me about it. So here's the thing. Um, how does it work? Because um, you, you don't need to go into detail, but from what I see here, it's just... Oh, not they say it's not Kickstarter, but people um, give you the money and you do the stuff. And where is your video being played? Still on YouTube? Or yeah, it's all on YouTube. So how it works is that you just make an announcement on Patreon saying that like you've posted new content with a link to it, and then it'll automatically go in and like charge your patrons' accounts for whatever they've decided to donate you for that video. And uh, every month, like the middle of the month, it pays you out however much it's accumulated that month. So you only get paid once a month, so you have to spend your money wisely. Otherwise, like, mm. you have nothing left. But, um, no, it works pretty well. I mean, you lose about 15% of it goes to Amazon and Patreon, so you don't get a huge amount. Like, a, a good portion of it gets taken out. But um, it works well enough for me, so... You, you get you get money to buy your tacos and Oreos. <laughs> pay my student loans for my school that didn't teach me anything. <laughs> also, you can do that. Okay, this is interesting. Uh, I, I might take a look at it in depth, and you know, if I need to do it, I might. But hey, it's another avenue. Have the other analyst bronies like uh, DG or Paleo or even Saber um, join in in this? Or Digi's on there too, so I know Digi's on there. Um, I know that um, Saber Spark. As far as I know, he has like a real job right now. Uh-huh. Like he just he, recently he got like a like a legit like career job like. A nine to five. Not like working, not yeah, something like that. Mm. So he's like kind of away doing like real life things that I don't understand because like I'm again I'm still ten years old so I don't understand how like things like like nine to five jobs work because it just scares me. <laughs> but um, he's doing that. Paleo is I don't think he's going to be doing a lot of pony stuff anymore. I think he's going to start doing uh, indie game reviews. Oh okay. Because um, that's something he's always wanted to do. So he might start doing that again once that channel takes off. I think he's still working on putting stuff like that together. But like he's always talking to me about like the newest indie games and stuff. So that's like really like like his thing. So I'm glad that he's moving on and doing that because I think he's going to make even better content for that because he he can talk games. He knows that kind of stuff. Mm. So I'm interested to see where he goes with that. Right. Yeah. Um. I mean the thing the thing to realize about Patreon is that you need an established audience for it to work. Uh-huh. It's not something you can just do out of the blue. Because, like, I have 35,000 subscribers and 70 patrons. So that means, what, like, 0.05% of my audience is a patron or something? Mm. Or, like, 0.2%? I can't do math. But, like, a very small percentage, right? So, like, half a percent or something like that. So, you know, half a percent of, like, 10 is, like, not one person. So it, um, you need, you need a, a, an established audience that believes in your content. And that's something I've always tried to do with my work. It's like, I don't want to just be a machine that pumps out content. I want to very much present myself as a human being and interact on a human level with people. Mm. Cause I, I hesitate to even use the word fans a lot when I'm talking about the people who watch my stuff, because I feel it's very one-sided, you know, like you're a fan of my work, but like, I'm just as much a fan of you as you are of me because you're here watching my stuff. And like, that means everything. Cause like I'm someone who thrives on feedback 
and appreciation for my work. You know, so the fact that people are here appreciating what I do keeps me going. And so when I'm just saying, oh, they're my fans, look, I'm a fan of them too because they're there. And I, I just, the thing that I've always wanted, because I kind of grew up with YouTube like taking off and stuff, you know, because it started in 2005 and I was like kind of in middle school and like it kind of elevated. And, and I grew up with YouTube. And the thing that I've always wanted out of the people I like on YouTube is being able to talk to them as human beings. Mm. You know, I've, mm. and I always told myself that if I ever got an audience, I would do everything I could to make sure that I was still accessible. Cause I didn't want to lock myself off and be like up on high saying I'm making content and like worship me, you know, like I'm just a dude. And I wanted to make sure that if I ever got even a small semblance of an audience to be accessible, to be able to talk to people and, and, and to be a human being to them and not like a rock star or something. Like, I was very important that I wanted to do. And that's why I have my Tumblr where I answer questions all the time. And I try and do Q&A videos on my channel. And, you know, I try and, like, every time I try to check my YouTube messages as much as I can. And, like, now it's, like, getting really hard to stay on top of everything. But I still put in the effort because I want to make sure that it's not a one-way street, you know, because I appreciate the fact that everyone is here supporting me because it doesn't matter how well you talk if no one's listening to you. That's true, that's true. Um, I, th- I believe I have a previous guest who was on the show who rant about people calling their viewers, subscribers, or whatever, fans. I, I need to dig it back up, but it was an interesting um, talk. And... The way you talk about it, like how you say you treat your audience or, well, quote-unquote fans, um, like people, like your friends, that's really awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah, and it's, it's I mean, it, it's just like that's the way I would want to be treated from by someone else. So, again, it's, it's what I try my best to do. And I'm not perfect, you know, because I'm only one guy. I don't have, like, a publicist running around <laughs> answering questions for me. But, um, you know, I do the best that I can, and I try to remain... You know, I Humble. don't want to develop ego. Yeah, hum- humility is a huge deal for me because, like, it's almost too much of a big deal because, like, I, like, take it too far. and just like, I'm terrible. I have to make sure I suck because if I think I suck, I'll never think I'm good, you know? And, like, it's almost self-destructively against having an ego. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I need to work to, like, develop a little bit of an ego. Not an ego, but, like, self-confidence, true, you know, true. and not take it too far. It's finding that balance. That is, um, right. But, I mean, if I had to choose one extreme, I'd much rather be too humble than too <laughs> egotistical. So, no, But um, for the audience at home who are listening to this, the first time when I re- uh, emailed Tommy or YouTube message Tommy, he answered. And, honestly, not many people do and that was awesome because I wanted to talk to you and I wanted to get to know you better because your videos were interesting and it somehow called out to me and I want to know more or I want to know more about you and I want to know how you do them. Yeah, you know, and when I go through my inbox, you know, a lot of the times there are messages, like yours wasn't one of them, but a lot of times I get messages where I'm just like, okay, you know, like it's like a really long-winded kind of thing and I'm just like, oh man, like reading and responding, this is going to be kind of be like ridiculous, you know, because I'll check my inbox in between doing other projects. So I'm just like, uh, you know, like I, part of me is just like, I, I don't know if I have time to do this because I'll get sidetracked. But at the same time, like I've been that person, you know, I've sent messages to someone like just, just being enthusiastic, you know, that's what everything is it's the whole reason people message me in the first place they're enthusiastic about what i do so how mad can i really get how upset can i really get how inconvenienced can i really be you know oh god someone wants to talk to me this badly what a pain in the ass you know like 
How horrible. <laughs> so I, I, I really do try and, like, respond as much as I can. And there are times when I got to, you know, like, stop. and like, okay, I've, I've sat here for an hour responding to messages. I think I got to get back on track. And a lot of them do fall through the cracks. And I try to keep on top of it, but I can't. I'm not perfect. But I definitely try and go out of my way to make sure I spend a good amount of time per week just talking to people. Because not only is that the right thing to do, but I think it helps foster community, you know, because if there is a dialogue, people are more willing to stay and people are more willing to help out. And I think that, you know, the reason that I have people on Patreon who are willing to give me like money for my content is because I put in that effort to be a human being and not just a machine that spits out content. Because if I had just put out videos and never said anything and never talked to anyone and didn't respond to the comments and didn't talk on Tumblr and just to give me money, like, who the that's f- not a word for you. <laughs> Yeah, you know? true. Uh, I think what made YouTube special for content providers like you and me and uh, DG and whoever else is because the interaction between the fans. Because when you want to say something besides the word first, is is you just say, "Hey, I love your videos, man," I, but I think something and something something, and you can reply to it. And now YouTube is being empty. They're making it hard for us. The big problem is their is their integration of Google Plus is is really yeah. the problem right now, and I think the the the, the reason for that is because um, by by forcing you to use Google Plus, it's going to give them more inf- more of your personal information, mm. which is going to allow them to target ads at you better. And ads are still their bread and butter. Like that's that's how Google makes the majority of its money. You know, and you notice everywhere, like, they're putting ads on Google for Android and iOS now so they can get ads on mobile, which you didn't have to sit through before. Yeah. And advertisements, that's 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 where all of their revenue comes from. Because, I mean, they don't make... I mean, Android's a huge thing for Google right now. Like, Android's, like, the dominant mobile platform. But Android's an open-source project, so they, there's no licensing fee when companies use Android. Mm-hmm. So they don't make any money off of selling Android handsets, technically speaking. So, I mean... They need advertisements is how they make the majority of their revenue, and like that in search, and they're integrating Google Plus into search now too. So like, um, when you when you're signed in with your Google Plus account, you're doing Google searches. If you've had conversations with people on Google Plus, it's going to start pulling uh, Google Plus results from those people to the top of your search results and stuff. So they're just trying to integrate everything for targeting better ads oh. towards you. And I guess if if you're living in the Google world. Like, in the Google ecosystem, it's probably convenient. But um, the problem is that YouTube doesn't really fit within that world. Because it was never a Google product to begin with. It's purchased by Google, but it's not a Google product. It's not like... They had Google Video, which integrated better into Google back in the day when Google was simpler. Mm -hmm. But YouTube... People are using YouTube regardless of Google's other products. And they want to change that. But they shouldn't. The problem also is that n- no matter how much we beg or plead, it's not going to change. Oh, true. Because because um, we're saying like we need a big we need we need a competitor to YouTube. We need we need an alternative <laughs> to get YouTube to shape up. The problem is we can't do that not now at least because yeah. we have like the top 100 channels on YouTube like the big draws that like the majority of the traffic mm-hmm. comes from. Their whole financial livelihood is dependent upon this platform. Oh, yeah. They can't leave. If let's say another site sprung up tomorrow that was just like YouTube, like the good YouTube, like the golden age of YouTube, right? But like updated for all the modern like features that we use mm-hmm. now, like sharing features and stuff. Like it's like the best possible alternative you could possibly think up from the get go. 
right? Mm -hmm. Even if the top 100 channels move to that platform immediately, it would take like how many X amount of months for all of their audience to follow suit, if at all. So like they would take a massive monetary hit and a lot of people can't do that. So people are entrapped in Google, Mm -hmm. you know, the top 100 channels are. And if the big people on YouTube aren't going anywhere, their audiences are going to stay there too. So then the majority of your traffic staying on YouTube and no one's leaving and then it's pointless. So another site isn't going to help, unfortunately. Google knows this, so they can do whatever they want. It's a catch-22 kind of situation where if I leave, I won't get the fans, and if the fans say, uh, if you don't leave, I won't leave kind of deal. Yeah, because if the people leave, there's nothing to watch. If the, if the people they watch leave, like their fans are still there and their money is gone because they, they don't have they don't have the audience to watch on their site. So, like, no one's going to leave. Yeah, another thing is when you say um, competitor to YouTube, there are some blip, blips exist. I mean... yeah. In, personally, for me, I do I love Blip because it doesn't screw me over when I want to watch a video. Unlike YouTube here over here, when I click a video, it's always a 50-50% chance that I might not watch it. So if it clicks and it won't place, it says, um, error, please try again later. I try again like 50 times, nothing happens. But on Blip, there's a 100% chance of me watching the video. So I'm not scared of getting my content. Mm. So I mean... It depends, really. Yeah. And another good thing I can see about the whole screwing the comment system is it's kind of more personal when you want to badmouth someone or you want to say nasty stuff is related to your Google account. The problem is people don't really care about that. I mean, the the new comment system's been around for, what, like two or three days Mm -hmm. now, and already we have, like, giant ASCII penises all over the places (laughs) and squat stickers. People posted the entire, the entire, there's no character limit, so they posted the entire script to Braveheart in a comment, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes. You know, so people are abusing it already, and it's like, okay, you wanted to clean up clean up the YouTube comment system, but now it's even worse. And now we have hashtagging and links in there, too. Oh, God. Like, it's just, it's just, uh, it's a mess. And another thing that's interesting, as I've noticed, is that uh, the two videos I posted yesterday, mm-hmm. I was checking the comments. I'm like, man, there's not a lot of people commenting on these videos. There's only a few comments. I guess people really hate the comments, because it was just, like, the top, the same, like, couple, uh, 10 or 15 comments, with, like, one or two popping up every hour or so. I was like, this is interesting. Then I realized... I have 250 comments on this video, but it's only showing the top comments and you're scrolling downward. So, like, it's the top-rated comments, and then it goes down instead of showing, like, the top one or two and then, like, the newest. So, like, if I want to see, like, all the comments, I just have to keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and dig. So I, I can't see any of the comments on my videos anymore unless I, like, take, like, okay, I'm going to take an hour to sift through all of this as opposed to, like, refreshing in the top, the newest or at the top. I kind of scroll down a little. Oh, that's counter. Yeah, so I don't know what anyone's saying about my new videos other than, like, three people. Oh, my. Anyway, um, talking about giving you money, I see that you have a Spreadshirt account. Yeah, um, I don't push that very much because Spreadshirt keeps deleting all my pro- my, my designs I upload. Because apparently they don't like they don't like fan art very much. Uh, but I do love it. I, I love the Kamen Rider Black shirt. Dude, props for knowing Kamen Rider Black. Oh, God. Dude, I love that show. It's my oh, favorite. God. Dude, Black was the best. I know. Oh. Black RX was okay, but... The aesthetic colors. That was like the most beautiful 80s style thing uh, ever. Yeah. It was fantastic. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm a huge Tokusatsu fan. Oh. I love Tokusatsu, Kaiju, you know, anime, all that. I'm, I've been watching Godzilla since I was five years old. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Here's the favorite question I like to ask. What do you think of Pacific Rim? 
I loved Pacific ah. Rim. It was awesome. It was a hype. It was such it was such a great homage to the kaiju film. You know, people come in and they're like, the story's ridiculous. I'm like, dude, have you watched Godzilla vs. Biolante? Okay, like you don't At least this film had like made sense in that regard. Like freaking Godzilla they cloned a flower with like his daughter's DNA and it turned into a giant monster. I'm like, okay, like come on. Come on. Alright. Oh god. Oh, that was insane. But you know what? I appreciate this because uh, I might look into it and buy one because I love what you did with it. I really love what you did with it. And the Android shirt, that's that's smart. Yeah, that was I made that like that was before I got into ponies. I made that design. That was a long time ago, but I, I thought that was cute. It's like Android seventeen and eighteen from Dragon Ball as the Android logos. You know what? So. You should promote this, man. You should add more. I might. I think I might switch over to Redbubble. The reason yeah. I had Redbubble initially, but Redbubble is more expensive. But they don't seem to care as much about fan art. So I might, I might start posting some designs because I had like double the amount of designs that are on there, and they pulled like over half of them. Oh my! Because I had like Lara and Bon Bon and like a bunch of other ones. Like a lot of the the, the nice like single pictures I had on my DeviantArt, I made shirts out of because I was like, shirts are cool. Mm-hmm. And initially, I actually bought all the equipment. Like, I bought a heat press and a bunch of stuff to do, make sure it's myself, but the demand was just too high at that point. I could keep up uh-huh. with, with everything else. I was making videos, drawing comics, writing fiction, and making shirts and trying to ship them out myself. I'm just like, this is too much. Mm. But um, if I moved over to Redbubble, the shirts would be $20 instead of 15 And that's why I stuck with Spreadshirt, because I liked... Because I I you only make about 4 or $5 off of a shirt. Oh. The rest goes to covering production costs. Yeah. But... um. To, to make that $5 margin on Spreadshirt, you had to charge 20 To make it on Spreadshirt, you only had to do 15 So that's why I was on Spreadshirt, but they keep pulling the designs that that I post on there, except for those ones that have stuck for some reason. I don't even know. Yeah, because the 15 to $16 price tag, it's appealing for me because... Over here, when we say American dollars, we need to times 3.3. So a $15 shirt is going to be what? Charlie, do you know? Uh, that would be about 50 bucks, I think. Yeah, 50 bucks, not including shipping. So, yeah, a, a t-shirt for us is going to cost us 50 bucks. Yay. Jesus. That's brutal. I know, but I am appealed with this, like your henshin shirt. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I might buy it soon. Maybe I'll get one for a friend because... We both love the blacks. Mm. Shipping cost is almost the same as the product cost, <laughs> if you think about it. It's ridiculous. No, no, don't care. I want to support Tommy. Uh. <laughs> no, but still, but still. I, I'll take a look at what I can do, because I do love the shirt. And when I love something, I buy it. That's yeah, good support, man. Indeed. I, I'd appreciate it, as long as just don't go broke doing it, man. It's all good. <laughs> Next month, when I get my paycheck, uh, when is that going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> no, but still, but still, um, people should go and check it out because it shows more of your talent because you don't only talk about, draw about, and rant about the ponies. You also do a lot of other stuff. I think probably the month before the new Legendary film comes out, I'm just going to talk about all the Hesai-era Godzilla films. Oh, yeah. Like, from Godzilla 1985 to Destroya, and just, like, break them all down and be like, do you want to know about my childhood? <laughs> You guys were, I don't know what you were watching, but I was five years old, and I watched Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, mm. and my life was forever changed, okay? Talking about Godzillas and stuff, have you seen the Angry Video Game Nerd or James, not really, um, I forgot James, whatever his name is. Um, James Rolfe? Yeah, James Rolfe's video on those, um, on his childhood or his thought on... Yeah, the, God, the Godzilla-thon videos uh-huh, uh-huh, he did back yeah. in the day? Yeah, those are good. I was, I've been watching 
James since the angry Nintendo nerd oh. way back in the day, beginning of YouTube. So I lost a girlfriend yeah. because of him. <laughs> oh my but god! Your girlfriend left you for James Rolfe because no, 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 no. The, the story <laughs> is like this. I, I'll just paraphrase it. I watched too much nerd that I kind of pick up on his um, rage. So every time when something happens or somebody cuts me off at a junction or anything like that, I'll go to nerd rage. Yeah. Well, well done. Well done, Norman. <laughs> yeah. But she was not worth it. So, yay. <laughs> yeah. At least you have your priorities straight. So, so, Tommy, 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 gotta ask, gotta ask you, the best Godzilla movie, right? Roland Emmerich. <laughs> Okay, 1998, starring Matthew do, do Broderick. Do, do, do you want me to hit you? I'll find a way to do it from here. I, I, you know what? I'm leaving. I'm leaving my door open for the next week. You can fly over anytime you want and just come and punch right. me in the face because I'm telling yeah. you, Godzilla, best movie, right? One, best one. One word I can say about that movie: that's a lot of fish. It was a lot of fish. It was. It was a great pile of fish. I mean, but you know, you know what? The only reason why this movie is good was because you know that they came up, the Japan came up with the uh, was it Destroy All Monsters, wasn't it? Something like that. Mm-hmm. I've got the Final name. Final Wars. Yeah, Final Wars, and then they had they Godzilla had the CG Godzilla in it, right? And yeah. they just destroyed it, like in they they didn't even bother. And that scene yeah, was, it was pretty, it was pretty beautiful. Yeah. To anyone who hasn't <laughs> seen Godzilla Final Wars, it's like the last Godzilla movie that's come out, and. Uh, the legendary films one next year is going to be the first film since I think it was what, like 2005, 2006 or something that film came out. And so it was just like a brawl. It was What's Godzilla versus like every monster ever released. And at one point, this, this, the alien guy who's controlling all the, the other monsters, he brings down, uh, the, the 1998 Ronald Emmerich Godzilla. <laughs> and it's That's not a word. tiny. It looks like a piece. That's not a word. And, and, and Godzilla just like, destroys it, like, in, like, two seconds. Like, without even, like, breaking a sweat. And the alien guy's just like, damn it, that thing's... That's not a word! Useless. And just, it's just, like, a great little, just, like... Just, it was awesome. So Tommy, Tommy, was, do you know do you know the story of the name that they gave it? Zilla? Because it's not worthy yeah. of God name? Yeah, because because the, the Americans took the God out of Godzilla. <laughs> they did. Yeah. It was, it was terrible. Well, not, not the American. They said Americans, but I'm just blaming that one guy, alright? Roland Emmerich, who is just like, just made, he, he makes bad movies. Why, why does he, he still- killed Godzilla with six missiles, okay? Unacceptable. <laughs> Unacceptable! <laughs> oh god. But still, but still, oh god, I got an excuse for that movie, man. That movie was terrible. It was, it was, it was no a one, good no one have an movie. Excuse. It was a terrible Godzilla film. Mm. If it was I called anything else, I wouldn't have a beef with it. It wouldn't be fantastic. <laughs> I, still would. I still would. It's badly written. It's got no story cohesion. Uh, the actors. But you can say were... that about any monster movie. The point of a monster movie well, is to watch the monster. Pacific Rim actually did. Pacific, you know, that's why I like Pacific Rim so much. Because despite being, you know, I went in there thinking, okay, this is going to be absolutely brainless. And that's not a word. Right. But I liked it because it actually had plot arcs. It had character arcs. It you know, resolved a lot of the stuff that they brought up, and it had a traditional three-act narrative structure, which is not what you find usually in, you know, a monster movie, which is forced. They had to have some sort of structure in the narrative, because it was it was, it was was a major Western release, you know? If they if they had just played it straight, and be like, yo, we're doing a kaiju film, like, it would have tanked, because they did that with Godzilla 2000, and it tanked. I don't know, the, uh, 
the one with Orga came out in America, and I watched it. Me and my dad, because my, my, my dad's like a huge Godzilla fan, like he's the one who introduced me. And so we still like watch those films all the time. We went and saw Godzilla 2000, like the day it came out, like that night. We went to the release. We're like the only ones there. And we're just like, yeah, it's the best thing ever. We're like, dude, did you go see it again? Like we were literally like five seconds away from like buying another ticket and just going to watch it immediately again. Because like we're never going to be able to see a movie like this in theaters ever again. And then Pacific Rim came out like 13 years later, which is pretty cool. But um, yeah, I mean, they had they had to they had to placate to Western audiences a bit in order to make it a success because the kaiju films are so niche, you know. It did, it did just, work. It did work. Actually, I found. Oh, it definitely. Yeah, you know what? What are you talking about? Like, uh, definitely is true because I, I'm just now reminded of another movie that I really liked, but didn't do well in the box offices because it just was nothing except what it was, and that would be uh, Dread. Dread? You mean the new one? Dread was. Dread was pretty cool. I liked yeah, it. I, I actually liked it despite what it was, which is uh, basically just you know violence and you know people shooting people for the sake of sake of it. And I actually, you know, strangely thought it worked. This, but it, I guess it didn't, you know, do too well in the box office because because of the, of what you just mentioned, right? Because lack of story cohesion and. Like, I mean, the problem it's, is it's like, an excuse, it was a com- isn't it? It was a comic book movie that I mean, nobody knows who Judge Dredd is. It's not like a big name. Like you can't even you can't even pretend. You know, like even like even someone like Thor isn't very well known in, in the general mm. public. Pop- you know, now he is because he was in Avengers. But like Thor was definitely a B lister. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, even even Iron Man before the Iron Man films, like he wasn't a big name. Oh. It's only because Robert Downey Jr. came out. I mean, Iron Man's still pretty. No, okay, Iron Man's pretty popular because um, back in the days when Marvel came out with any of their animated series, there's always Spider Man, Iron Man, and yeah, those are the two nineties. Uh, Iron Man only rode on the backs of the Avengers because he was an integral part of the Avengers team, yeah. and that was—I think—that was pretty much all that he had going for him at the time. But yeah, I mean, Robert Downey did a good job with with him. I'm not going to talk about Iron Man three though because uh, that's going to make me pissed off. Iron Man three, the Mandarin. Uh, mm. I was actually okay with that. No, huh? it was okay. Okay, um, another podcast for another I was, time. I was, surprised, I was surprisingly okay with that because I thought I was going to hate it because I knew about it yeah. before I went to watch the movie. But, you know, uh, the way that they played him as just this absolute butthead idiot, like, I didn't find a problem. I, I found a problem with Tony Stark throwing his entire legacy away because of that stupid... Girl, who by the way got powers and lost powers, and you know, a whole bunch of really cool twists that ultimately doesn't matter at all to the narrative except to overturn the entire point of Iron Man. What are you? You're Iron Man, yeah, but I'm gonna throw it all away. Why? Because, girl, okay, great, that's the plot. Mm. You You know what, Kitsu? We are passionate about this, so let's start up another podcast talking about this because I think the <laughs> four of us or the three of us or even hey, I I can I can rage about like bad movies for hours, okay? But you know, <laughs> will people pay me for that? That's the question. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, there's what Patreon. <laughs> there's that. We can try. No, but yeah, there you go, guys. <laughs> we're set. Okay, we're doing a new we're doing a new thing tomorrow, right? It's we're just gonna be called like four guys hate movies. Alright, that's our working title. Four guys one movie. Oh god. But you know, oh, you know man. what? Uh, oh boy. Uh, all this talk uh, and talk about movies and stuff. Uh, we're we're totally overlooking Tommy here, and 
Ah, Tommy, thanks for being on. I, I, I think you guys have more questions for him, right? I got one question. All right. I'm going to take this all the way back to the beginning <laughs> when you were talking about uh, cohesion in writing. Mm-hmm. I, I need to know what you think of Meriwether Williams. The thing to know about how I interpret media is that um, I'm very much into immersion. Uh, so what I'll try and do, and it's something when I examine media and NLP or anything really, I I like to get lost in the world. And I try to resist doing things that pull me out of that. And part of the th- what I do is I don't usually pay attention to um, things like writers or actors or things like that, especially in animation, because I want I want to just like experience the world as it's being presented. Um, so I don't want to think, you know, when I'm watching an animated show, like, oh, that's that this voice actor doing that line. Like, no, that's Ang, you know, mm-hmm. like that's Katara. I don't I don't know who the people are. Like, I just want to get lost in the world. And it's the same thing with the writers. Um, especially in a show like this, which is episodic, so you can start noticing trends if you keep doing things like that. I don't usually pay attention to the writers and stuff because I don't want to say, like, oh, this is a Meriwether Williams episode, this is an M.A. Larson episode. Like, I just want to, like, this is the characters doing things. Like, that's how I choose to experience stuff like that. Like, honestly, if it wasn't for the fandom, I wouldn't know, you know, who all the VAs for the characters were. I wouldn't know who all the writers are because I don't pay attention to those things when I when I when I watch TV because I, I just like experiencing it. I like to think of watching cartoons as like viewing a world mm. as opposed to like a production made by people. And like to this day, to go back to Godzilla for a second, like I can't look at behind the scenes stuff for Godzilla. If I see the guy inside the suit, I like literally like freak out. I'm like, no, he's like real. He's in Tokyo somewhere right now. Like it's a really weird thing. Like. A, the first time, like, one of the first things I did on YouTube is I searched for Godzilla, and I found, like, the behind-the-scenes thing where they show the guy with, like, only half the suit on walking around. I'm like, no, this is so wrong. Like, I feel like I'm being violated right now, and it's really weird. So, like, like immersion's, like, a really big thing for me, and I guess it just means I'm losing my grip on reality, which is probably bad. I should probably talk to someone about that. But, um, like, I know, I know who Mary Weather Williams is, and I know her episodes because people have told me. But when I first experienced them, it was just me saying, these characters are acting weird. You know, like, this episode's kind of off. As opposed to saying, well, Mary Mother Williams is freaking dumb, you know? <laughs> so, well, I, I mean, she's, she's not. I mean, I, because I, I like Wonderbolt Academy, you know? And, like, it's funny because... Oh, I, man, that, that episode has such, like, has pulled me in two different directions. Because oh, want, in, in season three, that is simultaneously my favorite and my most hated episode at the same time. And, you know, to be fair, I, I don't actually pay attention to the names until after I've watched the episode but as you said you know trends come and you're like hmm, this episode has the stink of you know x and x all over it and you can kind of see trends in the end well i yeah. was just curious though but yeah i respect your uh, you know well anyway tommy thank you for coming on and thank you for being awesome just you're awesome man i i don't know what to say Thank you, Tommy, for that insight into so much hyper-analysis, more than I can ever think. <laughs> and, Tommy, I have to say this. You're always welcome on. Seriously. Uh, you're always welcome on because you're awesome. Thanks, guys. If you ever want me on again, just give me a call. I'm pretty much. Oh, will do, will do. So, anyway, before we leave, Tommy, where can they find you? All right, so if you want to find me on YouTube, just uh, youtube.com slash Bernie Curious. If you want to see me on DeviantArt, it's 
tommyoliverdraws.dvnart.com. And if you want to see the stuff that I write, it's uh, on film fiction at tommyoliverwrites.filmfiction.com. So filmfiction.net, whatever it's called. <laughs> I I I I like I like my weird consistent branding. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No no problem no problem. I'll just just put everything in the show notes. You remind me of a previous guest I had. You don't expect like Tommy Oliver for president.com. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's I'm gonna t- my next target's Obama. He's going down. <laughs> All, All right. right. So anyway, let's move on to the next topic, and the next topic is shoutouts. And my first shoutout goes to you, Tommy. You're awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. And my second one goes to you, Kitsu. Um, thanks for helping me with this episode, and thanks for extra life, man. Yeah, always. No problem. And I have to give a. Shout out to one of our, well, not really guests, but one of the person that was interacting in the chat, um, Nico Cross Shen. He's awesome. Uh, thanks for being there, man. I, I hope you listen to this episode because if not, this shout out will be pointless. So, what about you, Charlie? Uh, my shout out goes to, I guess, the uh, analysis bronies, I suppose, which um, actually was. <laughs> uh, they, they, all the analysis bronies gave a little bit more food for thought in this uh, show about colorful cartoon horses which we're just supposed to enjoy but then if you think about it hard enough well, you can get more enjoyment out of them so uh, people like Golden Fox, Paleo, Anthony C, DG Brony all the analysis bronies shout out to you guys out there and of course Tommy C <laughs> <laughs> well, Tommy C, eh? <laughs> Did I finally marry Anthony? This is awesome. It's like my dream come true. That is so, a sexy man. Charlie, right? what have I you done? I don't care what you say. I, I give, I this, is, this is the horrible thing that science is wrought by the incredible combination of like that, okay? <laughs> that man, that man is fantastic. Uh, I, I like that okay. video. I really like that collab video, actually. Even though it was long, it captivated my attention for quite some time. And, in front of my ears, yeah. Shit, so. writers, you know what to do now. <laughs> yeah, OTP, man. <laughs> so, Kitsu, what about you? Um, I don't know. I never know what to say about this, but I'm going to shout out to people who think. Because <laughs> people who think help prevent the world from becoming stagnant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or if we're never satisfied with what we have... We can always make new things for the future. So everybody keep thinking about MLP and, you know, all this stuff and, you know, think about rarity and, and cutie marks and things because, it you know, cool stuff comes out of it. Mm, true indeed, true indeed. And to everyone else here, of course, I can't forget you, Norman, and Charlie, and Tommy. Yeah, welcome, man. You're welcome. So, Tommy, man of the hour, shout-outs. Who do you have? Um, I'm gonna give a shout out to all my friends on Skype and on the internets, you know, Bvids, Digi, Paleo, Matt, DB Pony, all you guys, Hirosashi, Jack's Blade, you guys are awesome. I also want to give a special shout out to Caitlin from Bogile Bronies for sending me the most adorable birthday thing ever. She sent me this like vocal message thing because she's one of the VAs in a project I'm trying to get started, and she sent me a birthday message as the two characters she's playing in my story and it was the most adorable thing ever so i love you you're amazing so thank you for that so if you have any questions concerns or suggestions for the show you can contact us at the mbs show at gmail.com and since youtube is not working properly i guess this is the only way you can contact us um i did have a question here on youtube um kingdom hearts or pokemon um if you notice my 25 hour stream 
with Kitsu, we talk about Kingdom Hearts, and my feelings for Kingdom Hearts was, yeah. And but Pokemon, I'm playing Pokemon X and Y, so yeah, uh, I love it. I don't know what to say. So anyway, and if you like to email us personally, you can reach me at Norman at TheNBShow.com, Daniel at TheNBShow.com, and Charlie at TheNBShow.com. Um, Twitters, we have Twitters. The show account is at TheNBShow. Um, SweetieBot will just interact with you, talk with you, post stuff about the show. And if you notice the recent tweet by SweetieBot, she was predicting the future that Tommy Oliver was on. <laughs> and, well, me personally, yes, I'm at Norman Sanzo. You can find me posting stuff about toys, sentai, or uh, food. I love food. And, Charlie, what about you? Uh, I have a Twitter at DRCXY, which I occasionally use to talk to members of the Brony community. Alrighty then. Do you do anything <laughs> more than that? Like, do you post pictures of food or rent? <laughs> Uh, no, I don't do such, but I, but it is a very good tool of communication, a very practical tool. True, 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 true. And if you want to make yourself feel better, you can follow Daniel. You can find him <laughs> at Saint Pinky, S T P I N K I E. That's Saint Pinky. If you're feeling bad and you think your day sucks, tweet him. He'll say his day sucks even more. And Kitsu, what about you? Well, yep, as usual, and as anyone who's ever heard me before, I will say the same thing. I'm a very, very lonely person, and I cannot be contacted. Oh. So go away. <laughs> no, you can find me on uh, filmfiction.com slash uh, user slash kitsunerisu, or uh, actually on Skype. Oh, my. At the same, at the same nickname. Yeah. Oh, my. Putting yourself out there. Just, awesome. <laughs> uh, this is the only place. This is the only place that people can get me. I don't have anything else. And I do not like social media because I'm not a social person. I hate it all. <laughs> oh, Especially you, Norman. Oh, I feel hated. Next week, I'm going to meet you. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> so, anyway, um, what about you, uh, Tommy? Do you have any Twitters? I do. You can find me at Tommy Oliver Says. I post random things, uh, pictures, photos, uh, random thoughts that are sometimes stupid, sometimes interesting. Um, also, uh, I do a lot of social interaction on Tumblr, which is TommyOliverSays.tumblr.com. Huh? And uh, that's where the majority of my not work time is spent. So if you want to talk to me, you have questions, that's probably a place to do it, even though I like Twitter more, but everyone seems to be on Tumblr. So that's where I usually spend most of my time. Awesome, awesome. So anyway, also please subscribe and rate us on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and also like our Facebook page. We have the Facebook. Links will be provided in the show notes. Um, I have been Norman Sanzo. I have been Charlie. Uh, it's Kutsune Risu here. And I'm still Tommy Oliver. And we'll rant about other stuff soon. So see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Later. I can't tell you when it started in my mind. And my thoughts would drift to you from time to time But now this feeling's getting worse It's like I'm trapped under a curse A carrying hand upon this lonely heart of mine She seems so close but she's so far away And I never feel like I can find the words to say But I don't want to break this spell let these feelings just dispel But all that I can do is take things day by day Oh, oh. Can't you see?
And then, of course, my inspiration is like, you could do this story with heart. Like, I guess I could. <laughs> so that's where What You Mean to Me came from. Because it, it, the story is about this this guy, River Rhyme, who's a, um, he's like a 20-something-year-old stallion. And he comes from Trottingham. He's going coming to Ponyville to escape, like, the hectic hustle and bustle of city life. And he meets Scootaloo and the Cutie Mark Crusaders. Um, and at this point, it's like a year after the events of Season 3. So they're like, you know, in my mind, they're like 11 years old or something. And um, the reason that they, like, kind of take a liking to each other, they realize that despite the fact that he's 20-something years old, um, River Rhyme's a blank flank. Mm-hmm. So 
they're like, oh, you got to join the Cutie Mark Crusaders. And it's just like, oh, God, I'm not hanging out with children. I'm here to, like, get drunk and like, forget about my life. Because he's, he's, a, he's a drunk. He's, like, a horrible drunk. He's, like, a beer, like, enthusiast. And he just, like, he's, like, a snob when it comes to, to, to booze. And um, he hangs out with the apples all the time and gets drunk. And they turn him into, like, this really, like, like connoisseur of, like, of, like, quality beers and stuff. And he just, like, I have, like, this this one chapter. Chapter three is probably my favorite chapter. No, chapter four is my favorite chapter because uh, that's when they're all just hanging out at this, they're going to go see this eclipse. And it's just, like, small talk at all the time because his friends in the book are um, are Caramel and uh, Sassaflash because they're going out. And he just he's, comes off as a beer connoisseur because they're drinking... My 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 story is equivalent of um, Pop's Blue Ribbon is Polsky Blue Ribbon, and they're drinking. And he's like, he's, "That's not a word." Plebeians and your Polsky Blue Ribbon, so <laughs> gross. And just like coming off like a total jerk. The whole story was like, someone wrote this really insultingly bizarre plot fiction. And I was like, I can definitely lose his heart. So it's about it takes place over the course of five years, and so each chapter is um one year mm-hmm. essentially. And it just, it doesn't really have much in terms of traditional narrative structure, where it's like a continual story. It's, um, each chapter is a moment in his character's life that brings them closer and closer together. And it's going to, chapter six would culminate in them actually starting their relationship, like being together. And at that point, Scootaloo would be 15, and River Island would be like 26 or something like that. And like, the, the point was that, I wanted to take a concept that would be really disturbing, like, you know, like essentially like going out with a little child and presenting it in a way that actually had heart and, and, and didn't feel weird because the story starts with them right after they've essentially like done it. <laughs> like he doesn't come out and say it, but it, the way he's describing like Scootaloo, you're just like, okay, they definitely like consummated their relationship. And like, it's designed to be like really off-putting. Like, this is really sketchy. Like, why am I reading this kind of thing? So I've probably lost a bunch of readers from the get-go. But that was important because I needed to start up like, okay, this is the concept. This is where the story's going to go. So you know it's going, where, you know where it's going to go. It's going to end here. This is, this is where we're going to lead up to. And then it does like the Tarantino thing and it goes back to the beginning when they first meet. And I wanted to present this concept of, of like, wow, I'm really skeeved out right now. Like, this is kind of weird, but I'm, you know, the, the people brave enough to keep going anyway will watch as their relationship slowly and steadily builds and their characters and how they interact and how they mesh and how their relationships built on this really, like, genuine affection between one another. And then the story is going to end in chapter six. If I ever get to it, it's going to go back to that scene and play that scene out again, but in more depth. And at that time, I hope by that point you read it and you resonate with their relationship. It's not creepy anymore. It's really like heartfelt. <laughs> well, Tommy, so um, I have to say this: you sold me. Uh, it's on my reading list. <laughs> need sixty-five thousand more subscribers. Get that? No problem. Anyways, but I'm getting off. I'm getting off topic. You, but... you could just go and steal one of PewDiePie's. I think he's got like five million. You know what? Likes just I don't like, want to uh... talk about that guy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All freaking day. PewDiePie is like the epitome of art, isn't he? <laughs> oh boy! You know what I'm he, never what he does? That with a response. What he does, right, is like he's he's years ahead of his time. Like in in fifty years, right, people are just going to be watching his stuff and like comparing it to Shakespeare. Like, <laughs> no, we should oh, analyze like, this video where he screams about <laughs> barrels all day. Oh yes. <laughs> The comedy. There's a great yeah, video on game theory. Have you ever, you ever watched game theory yeah, before? Yeah, I've seen it. I've described it. Yeah, it's the one about why uh, PewDiePie is why PewDiePie is successful. Mm-hmm. I was just like, well, 
That makes sense, doesn't it? At least it wasn't because he was good. At least I know now. <laughs> but that makes me feel a little better. Anyways. It's just because he can afford a plane ticket. <laughs> that's all you need, I guess. Oh, but no, legit. um... A uh, nostalgia factor just kicks in, right? Yeah. It's true. Okay. Uh, talking about nostalgia factor... There's, there's, yeah, I, I must admit... Yeah, here's an old I must Power admit that episode. I had... Here's an oh, old Power Rangers episode from uh, Wild Force. Um, the episode is called Forever Red. That episode yeah, yeah. was kind of meh, but what made it because of the appearance of Jason David Frank as Tommy. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, because of that episode, I was hyped, even though they were not in the suit for that long. But you know what? Looking at them all together, hype! Exactly, dude. That was, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, Jason David Frank's going to be back again as Green Ranger. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, <laughs> I wish I was doing another show where we can... Where we can nerds! We're all nerds here! Yeah. Uh, I know. No, you guys, you guys like oranges. You're a specific type of nerd, right? You, can, you don't lump yourself with the rest of us nerds. You know what? As someone who likes candy-colored horses, at least Power Rangers punch each other, okay? 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 At least when I go to the boys' aisle, they got Power Rangers, okay? You seen the, the MMPR, the Power Rangers fan film that's going to be, like, super ultra-hyper-realistic and, oh, like, yeah. super violent? All right, all right. You want to talk about fanworks? You want to talk about fanworks? Let's do this. All right. I don't even know why I'm fighting because I like both of them. But still, <laughs> one thing I like is better than this other thing I like. All right. Don't I'm talk about it. Let's save it for the 